Welcome to the Cherry Picker, the horror movie podcast where we like to kill people, but not really. I'm your host, Zach Cherry, and with me as always... Just keep your tits on, and I'll let you pull the rope when the time comes. I intend to. Eddie of Edward is Truth. And today we are talking about <laughs> Carrie. Released. Carrie? Carrie? <laughs> Released November 16th, 1976. So, long time coming. And Just in time um, for Thanksgiving, a prom movie. <laughs> And yeah, That's we just awesome. we just well, did, holiday, we just holiday did, movies galore. Yeah, we just did prom night as well. That's actually November sixteenth yeah. is my sister's birthday. Do you ever oh, wow. think of like oh big deal? Do you, <laughs> well, I mean like do, do you think of like the the movies that came out on your birthday, like the horror movies in particular? Because that's kind of our thing. Um, uh, no. I had to, okay. I had to <laughs> like, I had to sit there and think, do I? And if I have to do that, then probably I th- not. Well, no, no, because I, I think I, I, I might have probably mentioned this on on the podcast before, but I share birthdays with Halloween three, season of the witch, uh-huh. and hey. the Grudge, like the Sarah Michelle Gellar, oh. the first one. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. No, I, I think I, there are those things that happen online every now and then where people have in their stories like. Uh, the year that I, the, the year that I was born or, you know, th- this came out and, you know, you post like your top five movies that were released like the year. Oh, know, the, yeah, the year, whatever. Yeah. That yeah. kind of stuff. And I think I did something for my birth date, like <clears throat> h- how many movies were released throughout the years, like on my birth date and what were like my top five or something. I think I must've done something like that once as well, but <laughs> unless it's an assignment and I'm, you know, I have Google or some other search engine at the ready, like Ecosia that plants trees. Um, yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't really think much about it. I'm really bad with dates. Like, even historical contexts. I can only remember historical events if they're framed dramatically. Like, if I've seen a movie about them, then yeah. it's like, oh, just like in... <laughs> 9-11. In, in that movie I saw... Yeah, well, I, I don't watch the 9/11. There's no, I mean, I I just, there's 9/11. no better way to like <laughs> make people remember a date than to like numberize it as like when it was. No, is is there anything other than 9/11 that we've numberized though to remember? I mean, I don't, I don't so. remember people going like Mary 1225 <laughs> or anything it's, like that. It's it's very strange. But who would have thought that like the the Carrie uh, episode we would be delving into uh, topics like that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we should be talking about the signs of the zodiac of all the characters, Zach. <laughs> you know, I well, I. It's obviously because yes. because I mean, like being a horror gay and an astrology gay, mm-hmm. um, that's always going to be something. And I was watching, and I was just trying to think, like, who, like, who would Carrie be, or what what sign would Carrie be in particular? Sure. And I couldn't for the life of me figure it out because she's so repressed as a character throughout mm. the movie that it's just like it's really hard to gauge what her true personality is like the only time we really see it is i mean you can make two arguments is like you know when she's at the prom and she's you know really coming out of her shell with um 
um, um, Tommy Ross and, and then also, um, yeah. Miss Collins for, for that little bit yeah. that, you know, you can see kind of like hints of like who she would be. But then I would also argue that maybe like her destruction of the prom is like an expression of like her as well. Um, so I have no idea. Yeah, absolutely. I, I have no idea, but I, I, I will say that, um, oh, Tommy Ross is, he's definitely a Pisces. Which <laughs> I hope Andre will like. Anytime I <laughs> give a shout, <laughs> anytime you make anyone yeah. a Pisces, <laughs> poor Andre. Um, I mean, the maybe the movie time around. The funny thing is, like as I was watching the movie, I was trying to remember, kind of like as a parallel, the way things unfold in the book. Because I believe I've read the book probably about six or seven times at this point. Oh, wow. Um, in fact, I have it right here, my small, like, ma- my mass market paperback, which I still have the receipt in, and I realized I was looking at it after I finished setting up for this, and um, <clears throat> it's, I've had it for 20 years. I bought it oh. in 2003, and I've and I've read it, like, probably about seven times oh, wow. since then. But, at, so I've, I think I've read it more than Robert Block's Psycho, which I also have in a mass market po- uh, paperback, but... I remember Robert Block's Psycho so much more vividly than Carrie because I have so many more incarnations of Carrie to keep keep in my Rolodex <laughs> in my head, you know, like because I have this movie, I have the TV movie, I have the remake from 2013 with um, uh, uh you know, with everybody, and <laughs> I don't want to start people, citing the yeah, names. Yeah. yeah, those people, Claire Grace Moretz, and everybody. Um, and, and of course, the different incarnations of the musical version and all of that. So, I mean, it's hard to kind of keep it all straight in my head what happened where uh, as the years progress. But um, I do remember thinking, like, the, I, I got such a feeling from Tommy Ross. He, he, he is a little bit more <laughs> uh, pursued by his shallow side. In this in, in in this particular incarnation, than I remember him being in the book. In the book, he seemed to see things pretty simply. He was like one of those like insightful, almost to the point of brilliance, dumb people. Like he's <laughs> like he's so uncomplicated that he just sees things simply and truthfully, so he can seem profound while Sue Snell is sitting there overthinking everything with like her friendship with Chris Harginson and then yeah. what they did to Carrie White and why do I feel so bad and what kind of person do I want to be? And he's just like, Oh, why don't you just apologize? Yeah. He's like, and oh. that doesn't, that does not uh, <laughs> seem Pisces at all. So maybe I, I, I stand corrected. Right. Although that, if, that, if that's the, it, it, it depends on which version, it depends on which version you're talking. I about. like the, the way that he plays it. Cause he just has this like, and it's especially like in the, the moment right before the, the blood drops when he sees Sue, and he just kind of oh, looks yeah. at her, and he's just like, "What is that crazy idiot up to?" <laughs> like that's just oh, what I was reading his, his expression. <laughs> <laughs> She's always looking under the stairs or something. What's she like, plotting now? God. Right. Oh, get that's a load Sue. of this. Can't, this one <laughs> she can't keep her can't keep her away from anything. Yeah, I love it too. I, I, yeah, there's a lot of things I love about William Katz's uh, incarnation. I but okay, can I ask you something? Yeah, because I've shown this movie to more than a handful of people of my peers throughout the years because it was always. Ever since the first time I saw it when I was a kid, I don't remember exactly the age I was. I don't remember the first time I saw it. It always just seemed to kind of be there. So maybe I saw it before memory. I don't know. But um, 
I, I kept showing it to people who had heard about it and didn't know anything about it. And because I love it so much, it was like, okay, I just want to kind of watch it, but also watch you watch it, just see what your, your experience is. And so many people, even people who I didn't sit down with, would talk about their first time watching it. And so many people get confused by the movie as to the motivations of Sue and Tommy, much in the same way like Miss Collins is. Yeah. They seem to doubt their intentions right up to the prom. Like literally like when Sue's getting up to leave, having dinner with her family on prom night. Yeah. To go, you know, because she has to go do something and she's not, you know, kind of like discreet about what she's doing. I've had more than a handful of people look at me and go, oh, so she is plotting against her. And I'm like, N- I just watch. Just I'll, keep watching. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll interject there because I think the first time I did watch this. Yeah. It did. That did seem very peculiar because it's just like, why does she have to be there sort of thing? Um, and like, what, it was almost like very methodical of her to go there. So I looked at that and I was just like, so she isn't on it, but I never got the sense that he was because, and this is why mm. I, I was just like, oh, Pisces. Cause he was so like absorbed into it. Like he just like, basically I was like looking at the situation like, oh, so are they dating now? Cause like, he's just like totally like <laughs> flipped on Sue and it's just like, no, now I think they're like together. Um, but, you know, maybe that's just a little bit of you coming out in me. Just like, oh, straight couple. Uh, they they have to be together. <laughs> if, if, if there's two straight people and they're kissing, yeah. <laughs> then they're probably a couple. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I used to worry about that as a kid. I remember I, I worried a little bit more about it as a child, about Carrie's mindset. Like, well, where do we go after this? And maybe, and I worry about it less now, and I don't know if it's just the book because you get more insight in the book. Yeah. Uh, but I also see it in Sissy's <laughs> performance now. Like I have a much more kind of developed uh, 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 sensory apparatus for, for cinema, I'd like to think now. And even last night while I was rescreening it um, for this pod, I was watching her and I was thinking, she's the carry of the book. Like she's just kind of, this is about tonight. And maybe a lot of emotions are on the surface, but... He's not lying to her. He's telling her the truth. He's telling her she's beautiful. He's telling her, um, but you're here and I like it. I do. I like it and everything. And they're actually having a genuine time. It doesn't need to pan out. There's not going to be a broken heart. I mean, if things went according to the Tommy Ross who Snell plan, I don't think there would have been any hard feelings. I think Carrie could have somehow integrated into at least a subset of the popular kids and maybe ended the year on an up note and maybe I mean I think that and left home <laughs> regardless of how the night turned out at the prom she was going home to <laughs> that situation regardless <laughs> but um yeah but she had telekinetic powers to like you know <laughs> yeah um as long the problem was she her her, her guard was dropped when she went home after the prom that yeah. was the problem the yeah, the, I mean the whole thing because at the at the dance because she does say like why am I here like why why is this happening because she was almost like strong armed into the whole thing um, yeah which also you know my memory of this movie like I keep forgetting how quickly like it's very fast paced like the prom and all that like we're already there by I think like the midway point um, so like kudos to to this. Uh, almost 50 year old movie now uh for for being that uh brisk 
in its its storytelling. But yeah, when she was when she's at the house and he like drives up and he's like, hey, like, I, you know, I want to pick you up. And she's almost like she's very dismissive, like, whatever, fine, we'll do this. So I don't think that she's really had time to process it. And it's more so just because of like the encouragement from Miss Collins that she's like, "Okay, cool, like. I'm going to I'm going to do this like it's this is going to be what's best for me. So I think that right f- for the most part she was probably thinking of it in like more so just the moment but it, like when she was dancing she's maybe it did cross her mind like where do we go from here? Um that's mm. that was sort of the the confusion or the the mistrust on her part but uh <laughs> yeah, it's just thinking it's just like she knew it was just tonight i'm i <laughs> the way you said it i all i think is like you know like uh when uh, uh white girl wasted online she's like tonight is all about me and <laughs> it's like <laughs> sort of like tear up the dance floor like if nothing bad ever well, happened <laughs> like how crazy she would have gotten uh, in, in like in, <laughs> well, in, the, in the fun side. <laughs> well, in because I mean in the book, like she she does make a red dress, and there and there is this kind of like air of <laughs> defiance in the face of her mother, yeah. who is like pacing and praying and muttering to herself, like while she's putting together the dress and stuff. <laughs> um, uh, she's got this kind of like uh, 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 empowerment, uh, this freedom. That again, like I feel like is certainly laid in there. Like I mean, Sissy Spacex has lines like, um, "I need to try and be whole, a whole person before it's too late for me." And um, even like when she's talking to Miss Collins and telling her that Tommy Ross asked me and everything, like, so she's like, "Just trying to trick me again." I know who he goes with and everything. I mean, it's all there out there on Front Street, like what she's examining and what she's trying to kind of like find out what what could possibly be the motive behind all of this. And that's another thing. This whole movie ends up becoming kind of like. A litmus test, <laughs> or not not a litmus test, um, a, a Rorschach uh, painting uh, sometimes uh, in certain moments. And another one for me, I didn't even realize it was a Rorschach test until I had a discussion with two friends of mine, um, both elder gays like myself. And... Um, we just, we just, we, and we all know the movie backwards and forwards. And we brought up the moment where Miss Collins is talking to Carrie and showing her the reflection of herself in the mirror, you know, in the locker room. And uh, she's talking about like putting a little curl in her hair and her lips with the right shade of lipstick and all that kind of stuff. And um, the the camera zooms in <laughs> perfectly to Betty Buckley playing Miss Collins, um, to her facial expression, which which shifts from uh, kind of like this maternal warmth and, you know, this smile and this encouragement to this very raw uh, emotional moment where she has to almost kind of catch herself. Like she presses her own hand to her mouth. Mm -hmm. And I always perceived that. Um, Well, let me ask you, how do you perceive that moment before I share? (laughs) Do you have any particular interpretation? I think she was just like seething. Like she was pissed off at <laughs> Sue and Tommy. And she was just like, because just oh. the, the transition of the scene where, because it then goes like right to, to them in the office and, and she's uh, uh, like reaming them out. That it's just like, it's almost like, because like, all I got from her, there was a lot of teeth. So it was almost like, 
you know, the, almost the expression like lying through your teeth. I know that she was like, you know, trying to be encouraging of, of Carrie and just being like, yeah, we can like, yeah. we can really do this. But in her mind, she's just thinking like, God, I have to lie to this poor girl to make her feel good right now. And then I'm going to go over there and I'm going to be like, what the fuck do you think you're doing to poor Carrie? <laughs> that's what, that's, that was my interpretation of it. That's interesting because yeah. that's actually kind of kind of like a conglomerate version of all three of ours. Because one of my friends said he was the one to start the ball, ball rolling, where he yeah. was just like, "Here she's sitting, saying all these like encouraging things," and all of a sudden she's just like, "God, I don't even believe this myself." And I'm like, "You think that's what that moment is about?" And I and I mean uh, that, I that, to my is, other a, friend, that like, is a you? callback to the to earlier when she's at the in the principal's office and she's. She says that, like, you know, the thing is that, like, when those girls were doing that, I was just like, I felt oh, it, like, because I wanted to. I knew to, how they felt. Yeah, I did yeah. the same thing. Mm-hmm. Because it was just her period, for God's sakes. Yeah. But um, I could just do this whole movie. But um, <laughs> no, she, uh, but for me, because uh, then I turned to my other friend, and I was like, well, what do you think that moment's about? And he was like, oh, I always, I always thought that it was just like, um, oh, my gosh, like, here we're building this. I'm building her up and they're just going to tear her down again. It's just going to keep happening. And that's what that moment always was for him. Like the, the inevitable wrecking ball that was going to come into her life and just crash no ma- any kind of hope and yeah. any kind of sense of, you know, real identity she had. And for me, it was much more immediate. And of course, you know, surprise, surprise, you know, it was, it was a much more kind of like emotional, like subliminal moment for me because I just thought like, she almost moved herself <laughs> with being this kind to Carrie, realizing these are probably the first kind words Carrie has ever heard <laughs> in her entire life. This is probably the first words of encouragement she's ever been given to believe in herself and to actually try something new beyond just like the scared little girl who hides behind the books and her greasy hair. And, um, and I just felt like she just kind of got caught up, you know, in the emotion of the moment because I was. Um, so, yeah, it was it, it was interesting how, like, you know, three different people could perceive this yeah. moment, which, again, like, it's not scripted and it's – or as far as I know, it isn't scripted. I haven't heard anybody speak to it, but there was a Zoom on Betty Buckley's expression. So there had to be some kind of premeditation, yeah. but it seems so – well, uh, so it's it's very just, uh, yeah spontaneous. it's very intentional in the way that it's like you know we're not focusing on Carrie and her perspective yeah. of the situation we're we're focusing on Betty Buckley but just like the way that you describe like this sort of like the hand to the mouth I'm just thinking of like that's like I guess like the 1976 version of the gay gasp or like the <laughs> the Nev Campbell <laughs> gasp like if they had just added oh like, no. <laughs> <laughs> All roads lead to scream. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Um, you could have even just said, like, because Nev played that, that a very Carrie-esque uh, version in, in The Craft. Because she she, when we first see her, she's she's got the books and she's got the greasy hair and she's hiding behind it all. <laughs> but... Uh, do you, I, I, <laughs> yes? Well, I was going to just say, like, we're, we're almost 20 minutes into this. Did you have a premise you wanted to... Oh, yeah, I do. Okay. Sorry. No, that's okay. um, this was uh, revised from an IMDb one from Huggo. So thank you, Huggo. A high school senior... Spirals below her long-established social outcast status. After an impromptu event among her phys-ed classmates and their subsequent punishment 
for humiliating her. As the school year winds down and prom night grows nearer, this sad young girl must juggle abusive exchanges with her religious fanatic mother, along with secret research regarding the source of these abilities she has to move objects with her mind. And as her peers conspire to somehow direct this young girl's fate for better or worse, no one can foretell the impact of their choices, not even Carrie. Huh? Oh, chills. Um, <laughs> First one without a question mark in a while, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> it usually ends in a question, so it's, I was it's kind true. Of yeah, you do. You do go for those those <laughs> upward inflections. Uh, yeah, uh, it's very inquisitive. But uh, yeah, right. <laughs> when did you When did you first see Carrie? I don't remember exactly. I, I, it must have been maybe later grade school, because I mean the nudity. I don't remember being shielded by the nudity, and I was shielded from a lot of female, particular only female nudity. Yeah. There wasn't a lot of male nudity going on in uh, the 1980s for family-friendly films. But I mean, this isn't a family-friendly film either. G-rated um, uh, family-friendly horror. <laughs> <laughs> it must have. It must have been. Maybe not grade school. Maybe like around uh, middle school now. But it was junior high when I was coming up, and. Um, I remember I was old enough to like have a locker and to kind of understand the vibe in uh, public schools, particularly, I mean, this was shot in a public school in California and it looked just like the one that I went to uh, for junior high and high school. Yeah. And um, I, this is another one. I, I, t- I think I talk about this uh, often about when movies tend to kind of capture things that feel <laughs> like where you can feel the time of day and everything. And I remember just thinking like all those scenes that are shot at the school it feels like you're at school, whatever hour, even when they go to the prom, like it feels that it's that weird feeling that you have when you would go to school at night to go see, well, well, to star in a musical like I was, or, you know, to go support a friend at a sporting event or, you know, like whatever, like it's all, it was always odd going to school at night. And, uh, (laughs) and then, but then like the lull, like the weird feeling of the afternoon, like even in the Snell household, when Margaret White goes to visit Priscilla Pointer and, you know, <laughs> share pa- passages from the Bible about uh, I don't I, that I can't quote. I don't know any of Margaret White's Margaret White's scripture quotes. Yeah, which is just kind of like Jesus. That's all I. Can she has like energy, like the. Do you remember the God Warrior? It's like the this, God like warrior. it's like probably it's like become a meme at this point. But it was uh, it was a, one of those reality <laughs> shows where I think it was like trading spouses or something, and oh. they it was like this religious fanatic, and she went to this kind of like to live with this like hippie family, and they were like into like tarot and uh, like solstice festivals and all that, and she was mm. just like super uncomfortable. But when she came back. Uh, to her family, they were like really excited to see her, and she came in, and she's just like gargoyles, Satan, like <laughs> get out of my house, in like to the cameraman, like get out of my house in Jesus' name, I wow. pray. You have to like look it up; it's it's hysterical. 
but that's like okay. I get like the the Margaret White. <laughs> I just like imagine like a trading spouses of like uh like uh, Margaret and Sue's mom just like <laughs> like just imagine like Sue with Margaret as a mom for a week. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if it, I, I I've actually seen a few at one of my old jobs, we had access to reality TV, and I think I saw Wife Swap. Yeah. Like three or four episodes, and it, it, uh, that's all I could take. But yeah, It's basically the same thing. If it wasn't wife swap, it was like trading spouses. Like, they were both the same thing, but okay. they, were, they were hysterical. Okay. Um, but yeah, I just like, wow. it's basically, that's her, but like with red hair and slimmer and a cape. I love that she's wearing a cape, right. too. She's like a superhero. <laughs> Just, just cloaked in black, yeah. just wandering around. And any incarnations that I see where they try to take away her cloak, yeah. it bothers well, me. Well, wasn't it more of like it a purple? It always bothers me. It's like a purple cloak. Well, uh, I mean, it, it, it maybe, but it reads yeah. as black. Also, I mean, because she was, I think she was always adorned in black in the book. So maybe I just carry that with me. But also, you know, just okay. to, like a dark figure. I tend to think of purple as a more whimsical royal color. But um, <laughs> black is black seems on uh, on ironically enough, black seems totally uh uh, uh pitch perfect for Margaret yeah. White. Um White. But I I <laughs> and Piper Laurie actually this has become kind of like the career defining role for her because everything she's done subsequently it's like uh Norman Bates for Tony Perkins like everything she does kind of has anytime I see her she seems to be playing like somebody's really severe mother like even she did an episode of Frasier in the 90s and she came in playing Christine Baranski was playing like a Dr. Laura Schlesinger stand in basically. Yeah. And Piper Laurie came in as her mother and was introduced as this sweet woman who Frasier was trying to reunite with Christine Baranski's character. And then when they came face to face, she immediately started condemning her. For getting pregnant when you were a teenager. All the things I could tell you about her. You know, full-throated Alicia Witt type, you know, delivery. Which, (laughs) I shouldn't say that because Piper Laurie did it first. So, Piper Laurie (laughs) full-throatedness. You know, like that theatrical voice to the back row kind of thing. Um, Now we need need a Piper Laurie... Uh, biopic starring Alicia, Alicia Witt. Witt. <laughs> Alicia Witt. Oh my God! Yes. Well, okay. Oh no, funny enough, because like the th- besides Carrie, the two things that I, uh, the two other things that I know Piper Laurie from are first, yeah. first and foremost, The Faculty, uh, where she plays. Oh, yeah. uh, I forget the, the the character's name or the teacher. She's the music teacher, um, mm-hmm. but she has like the line like right before the the credit. She's like. I always wanted to do that. Um, and then <laughs> she, was, she was also um, a, a regular on Twin Peaks, um, which right. the, the original run of the series, which was two seasons. And her character, like at the beginning, was kind of presented as like, like she was like this big lead. Like she was like always in the show. And then as the, the series went on, they re- used her less and less, which I always like didn't like because i was just like we need more of her because she was so mm-hmm. theatrical and and big with her her performances but um alicia witt was also on twin peaks so i just think it's funny oh. that um they they were together in a movie and they're they, they've got that full-throatedness and will <laughs> she'll one day play the play piper laurie is piper laurie still alive uh by yes. the way yeah yes Okay. Yeah. Wow. Thank God. Good for her. Um. <laughs> yeah. 
But no, yeah, the, the, the day the day she the day I hear she kicks, I'm gonna be. It's gonna be a quiet day for me. It's gonna be a somber day. Um, just because I mean, also just anytime I see her speak about this role in particular, because oh, there's one other movie that I love watching uh, that she did uh, shortly after this called Ruby, where she plays kind of like a Norma Desmondy, Blanche Dubois like, you know, but really sadder and more horror adjacent yeah. uh, character named Ruby who owns a drive-in movie theater and murders start happening there. And all she wants to do is hide it. And, um, and she drinks a lot and she just, you know, kind of basks in her past glory in this mansion in a bayou. And uh, you'd try and explain it to me, but yeah. um, yeah, it's, it's a terrible movie, but it's, it's fun. She has a, and, and she's, she's great. In yeah. It. Well, she has a very <laughs> interesting career because she's like, I, really like her and i don't want to like say like her her peak but she was like a huge star years and years and yes. years before carrie and then she disappeared for the longest yeah. time and came back mm. i don't know if it was for carrie but it was yeah that's that's kind yeah. of been her career is like she's she, she she's almost like that i guess they don't do this anymore because now we have disney plus but like the disney vault where it's just like <laughs> she would come out for a limited time and be like this big sensation and then she would disappear into the vault for like 10 or 20 years and come out and do something else because i mean like already like the, the oh, faculty was... has been like 25 years so it's like that's and that's the last yeah. thing i remember her being in distinctly she's done a lot of television she even did an episode of uh will and grace where she was kind of like the grace of the future like will and grace went to go visit like a professor who taught them in college and he inspired will because he was gay and will who was newly out so he was really inspired by this you know uh academic scholar so they go to visit him for like a tuesdays with maury kind of thing and then he's all embittered and they don't understand why then in walks piper laurie and she starts acting like an old Grace to mm. his, like, old Will. And again, that full voice is like, why are you always here? You know, I have a house right next door that's perfectly suitable, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and she's she's still working right now. Like, like yeah, you know, yeah. like there's a few stopped. years in between. And you're right, it is television appearances and, and stuff. But she's yeah. she's been working steadily. I mean, there's yeah, a gap between yeah. 2012 and 2018, but. Um, oh, but that's nothing. Because I, I believe the gap yeah. between, was it The Hustler, the last thing that she did? And then uh, 15 years later, they did Carrie. Because uh, the casting director, Harriet B. Helberg, was having a conversation with Brian De Palma because they were trying to discuss who they could bring in for Margaret White. And she suggested um, uh, 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 Piper Laurie, and he immediately said, "I just watched The Hustler like the other night. She's too young." And she, he's like, and the, and Harriet was like, "Brian, that was 15 years ago." He's like, "Oh, oh, okay. Well, then maybe she is old, and I don't know." <laughs> so it really, it, it, it's hilarious that like someone who has such foresight as even a director like Brian De Palma, as a director, you have to have yeah. foresight. You have to believe that something can be manifest before anybody else does. So the fact that he was locked right. into this image of Piper Laurie, you know, and it needed yeah. to have there's, expressed it. There's a 10-year gap between whatever came before Carrie, which was called The, the Long Hunt of April Savage. So yeah, she took a good 10 oh, years off that. and... Uh, okay. and, and, and came back for, uh, for Sweet. this tour de force. Yeah. 
Wow, that's 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 very interesting. She was also in Trauma, which was a lesser Dario Argento movie uh, that came out in the early nineties. Mm. Um, but that's mm-hmm. yeah, that's the only thing. I want to kind of I want to watch this Ruby movie now, but I'm looking on IMDb. It's four point five. Uh, no, it's not a good movie. Yeah. It's not a good movie. But it, you have to. It, it's a ripoff of everything I mentioned <clears throat> and The Exorcist somehow. But. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's just it's it's a riot. Yeah. You have to watch it. Um, um, everybody should. Anyway, um, my first uh, experience with Carrie. Sorry, got off track there. Yeah, because um, I probably this I watched around that time in the late nineties because the sequel came out in nineteen ninety nine, I believe, mm-hmm. but I didn't know about mm-hmm. the sequel yet. So th- this is the late nineties was a very interesting time. Because mm-hmm. we are, like we've talked about, like we're gonna go back. All roads do lead to Scream, but Scream did put the horror genre back on the map, um, and it and it definitely like brought in like you know all like the millennials at the time who were just like mm-hmm. you know now getting into horror because like Scream made it in vogue again. So I think that. Yeah. You know, I went down the the rabbit hole, you know, watching things like Halloween and like all the, the sequels, Friday the 13th, uh, Nightmare, Nightmares on Elm Street and, and all that. And Carrie, I don't know if it was on TV, like an edited version or something, but I just knew that it was I knew what Carrie was. And obviously it's referenced in uh, Scream as well. So I just. You know, it was just one of those things that I watched. I don't remember the first time I watched it, but I know that I watched it many times. Um, I remember, like, we were watching it, like, at school one time. Because, um, and this was junior high. Because sometimes we'd have, like, free periods or just, like, it was, like, a Friday afternoon and, and whatever. And, yeah. and they'd be like, yeah, if you have, like, movies you want to bring in. And, and, I, and I bought it on VHS and I brought it in. And they, we started it. And then they turn it off immediately because the the shower oh, uh, bit right. at the beginning, and we didn't even finish watching it, and because that was the, the it was inappropriate uh, for mm. for junior high kids. Um, oh dear! And I don't think I got I don't know if I got in trouble or anything, but I think they they might have like said something to my mom. Uh, <laughs> but um, it would have been hilarious if they would have just told you. Well, just fast forward because it's only in the beginning, and then later when she gets back from prom, she's naked in the tub and drying herself off and stuff. And they were like, oh, "You said it was only in the beginning." And then you would have doubly gotten. Yeah. Um, if but, but fortunately, that far. my, my mom is no Margaret White, so it wasn't like you know. I, right. I went home and then they got a call. I'm like he, he did. I understand. Thank you. <laughs> and then get locked and in then, the closet. And she just the and then she just turns to you and says, "You're a woman now." And then you're like, "Why did you tell me, mom?" <laughs> <laughs> I just want to quote the movie. <laughs> um, but anyway, so yeah, I, I, you know, was getting into all these movies at, at the time. Yes. And I think that was what was so great about the late 90s is that everything was kind of bolstered by the fact that like Scream had come out and every one of these like major uh, horror movies from the past had to like yeah. inevitably get a sequel or something. So, yeah. you know, then we did get the, the Carrie too. And I just remember thinking like, cause I had seen Carrie and it might've been like a year or two years later that there was like all of a sudden a preview for Carrie too. And I just feel like <gasps> they are making movies for me right now. <laughs> like, they're it's, 
Hollywood is just like catering specifically to me and I fucking love it. <laughs> and I mean, like I've seen Carrie too and it's not like anything great. Um, I don't know if we'll ever do a mm. podcast on it. Maybe, but um, I would, I, I have a lot to say about that. Yeah. Movie. We won't, we won't talk about it here, but I mean like, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's interesting. We'll, we'll, we'll say that. Um, and definitely it's, it's, it's not one of the better, you know, like, Legacy sequels or whatever we want to call it at the, the, the time uh, sure. that uh, these were coming out, like H2O. Because it, it was kind of like the the H2O of Carrie. Um, <laughs> but I just remember, like, being so enamored with, with everything. And then, like, when these movies would, like, the sequels would come out, I'd be like, oh, I got to go back and watch everything else because there's going to be more sequels coming out of, of these things. And it's, uh, I don't know, it was just, it was a really neat time. Hmm. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I agree. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um. As far as like, I, I had a similar rekindling because I never really lost sight of this movie, and I always kept finding people who hadn't seen it before that I, that I was like, oh, I want to screen it for you. Like, I remember even like, I don't remember how early it was, but we were both still teenagers. My oldest friend, John Carlos, who's probably listening. Hi, John Carlos. Hey. Um. <laughs> um. I remember I showed him because uh, we he's to this day, like still seen everything I've seen and more, but there's like maybe five movies I've seen that he hasn't. Uh, <laughs> so when I found out, and that was true then too. So I remembered being like, um, you, so you've seen Carrie and he was like, no, I've never seen it. I mean, I know about and like prom and everything like that. And I'm like, well, you know that from looking at the video cover, you know, like even back in the days of VHS, that was my first exposure to the movie before I ever saw it. Actually, you can see it in the uh, Scream Factory flip cover. Now, the shot that's uh, on one side, it's Carrie White as this uh, prom queen yeah. smiling for the camera. And then it's her covered in blood. And I remember not knowing anything about the movie uh, sorry, little segue. Not knowing anything about the movie and looking at that VHS cover, it was one of those things that was in the horror section that I always loved visiting, but never wanted to rent when I was in grade school. So, but I remember I just study that cover and think like, so the movie's all about this turn that she takes. Like, I guess she becomes prom queen and she's really pretty but then she kills everyone but i thought it was like with an axe or something you know like lizzie borden style mm. or that she i thought she was like bathed in the blood of her victims or something yeah. <laughs> and um so when i finally saw the movie and saw how tragic it was uh everything like i was crying you know like every and to this day like i can't watch sissy spacek win and not well up at least, you know, like I get, I get caught up in it quite often yeah. and then just ride. It's like a roller coaster though, then because everything about Pino Donaggio's score and the wonderful, beautiful kind of like uh, velvety sun kissed <laughs> idealism <clears throat> into like this, this now pay like, like uh, what, how can I think like this rowing forward? It's got this uh, energy that's just kind of like, Whoa. Wah, wah, you know, like, yeah. it's just, I just imagine people rowing. Um, it's a it great, drives, it's driving you It's forward. a great score and yeah. it's so eclectic because every track yeah. is completely different. You, you probably yes. know which ones my favorites are though. Which one? No, I don't. Which the, one? Well, it's, it's, I think it's, they're very similar in, in both of them, but it's the, uh, when they're doing the, like the phys ed detention and it's this sort of the same one way. Oh, it's like a like a like a cat in heat. 
Um, yeah, and it comes back again <laughs> yeah. at the when they're doing like the prom shopping, like when they're getting One, the tuxedos. Two. Yeah. And she's doing yeah. she's putting on the lipstick and all it's like yes! <laughs> But but it's Along the way that it's timed up. so well for like when they're doing yeah. like the jumping jacks and the sit ups and fuck I yes, one, I love that two scene. one two because it's getting slower and yeah. slower and slower and you can and feel PJ's like them getting tired it's just like like you could see she's laughing like she's like I feel, I feel like she broke character in that like when they were filming it because she just cannot keep a straight face when they're doing like the jumping jacks and all that. <laughs> By the way, did you notice? Because we don't really. Because she's always got the the. I want to call it the pride hat. It's sort of like a. It's like a MAGA hat, but like with pride and paraphernalia on it. But <laughs> rainbows, yeah, and clouds. clouds. It's got clouds on the back. Um, it's iconic. But she's yes. she's when she's getting her hair done, and they're in like those. Uh, those things and she's got the hat sitting on top of it but if you look at her hair when she's not wearing the hat she's got the the gail weathers micro bangs from scream three. Oh, like i don't think they're not as like teased out or like they're but but it's just like it's a very short uh bang that she's got going right on yeah and they're probably uh, and yeah no I never I didn't notice that too many other things are going maybe on maybe that's I why always... she's she's just like I think my character's gonna wear a hat in in this movie <laughs> and they're like yeah no 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 she was told <laughs> she she wore the hat to what she thought was the first audition but it wasn't even an audition she walked in and George Lucas oh because in case anybody d- doesn't know maybe there are some younger people who don't uh, George Lucas and Brian De Palma both auditioned uh, Star Wars and Carrie simultaneously uh and screened the actors they both sat together behind a table and fil- filled these actors filed these actors in one after well i don't even think it was one after the other i think because they wanted to talk to them and the way pj souls described it she walked in in that hat ready she didn't have any sides or anything so she's like oh i guess they're going to pass me something when i walk in she walks in and they just talk to her she's like hiya and <laughs> she sees them See just kind of like looking like? at her no, she didn't even do that. <laughs> not yet, not yet, Zach. But she um, that was two years later. But she um No, she uh so she just kind of stood there and Brian De Palma leaned over to George Lucas and said, I'm gonna put her on my list. And George was like, Okay. And then they were just like, Okay, thank you. And she's like, uh, okay. And she left and she's like, I didn't. And they're like, thank you. We'll see you. You know, thank you. Did a great job. She's like, I didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and he, the last thing he said as she was leaving was, uh, you're going to come, you're going to come back for a callback, but bring the hat. And she was like, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so she brought the hat back and it stayed in it. She's convinced it got her the role <laughs> that he just liked her yeah. hat and probably well, her energy, her, Hiya, you know, kind of, well, it, peppy, wor- it worked out for the know. better. Um, <laughs> it really did. Yeah. Norm- Norma. Um, <laughs> She's a terrible I, but that's person. crazy to think that, you know, maybe uh, Carrie Fisher might've been Chris Harginson. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Like, um, Amy Irving read for Princess Leia and, um, oh, uh, William Cat said he was there the same day as Kurt Russell and Kurt Russell read for Han Solo and William Cat read for Luke Skywalker. 
And he thought they were on fire in their audition and they did a really good job. And he still to this day would like to know, why didn't we get, why didn't we book it? Like, we were great. (laughs) And he's seen Star Wars. He knows how great Mark Hamill and, you know, Harrison Ford are, but he still was just like, there was something going on. Kurt Russell, you know, (laughs) he he did pretty good for himself. But uh, William Katz, I don't know. He, well, um, it's it's so funny to see (laughs) like... What? No, just go. No, it's just, go. it's just funny to see like William Cat and PJ Souls like on screen together because they, yeah. uh, even though it's like barely a fucking cameo, but they were uh, Liz Purr's yeah. mom and dad in Jawbreaker. Mm-hmm. They just had the one I knew scene you where were they, go there, yeah, yeah, when they when they uh, <laughs> they're like, Elizabeth, we're home, and we didn't even like get to see their reaction. It's in the trailer. Uh, yes, there's like a quick shot of it, but uh, yeah, it's like. You know, if you got those two, use them more. But whatever, the so movie's still Tommy married Norma. That's weird. Yeah, in another um. universe. <laughs> another thing with like William Cat, um, maybe you like think this is like ridiculous, but he looks like like his face. Yeah, looks so similar to, um, uh, what is that? You'll know the actor's name. He was the one from Friday the Thirteenth Part Seven. Who he's like the the final boy with oh Tina. Kevin Ke- Kevin Blair was the name he did the the uh the 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 movie under but his his real name now that he works under is Kevin Spiritus right yeah. and I forget the character name but he just like his like face looks exactly the same like same smile same eyes nose you just like swap like yeah. the like the curly blonde hair or like shorter dark hair. <laughs> like look, look at like afterwards. Like go look. It's no, no. I, okay, I, I, I don't see it, but I, 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 I saw it. I was just like, what? The, I can't okay. like not watch Carrie and think like, <laughs> oh my god, it's what's his face? Uh, I know it's not him because it's like, you know, it's but, it's, but it's like it's like it looks so much like him. They're both musical theater actors too. Kevin Spiritus uh, was Hugh Jackman's <laughs> standby. For the boy from Oz on Broadway, and William Cat played Pippin in the original Bob Fosse production with Ben Vereen and Cheetah Rivera and everybody. Um, so he can sing and dance. He's got a badass voice, which is weird because I was watching this thinking like the, the, Carrie was made into a musical. Some people might know, and I was watching this thinking, oh my god, so many people in this cast could have done the musical because they can sing. Like Sissy Spacek proved she could sing when she did Coal Miner's Daughter. I think I don't remember if, how many years passed before. I think it was like the next project she did after Carrie and she I think she won the best actress Oscar for that. I don't really have a good Oscar catalog in my head, but um I know she was nominated for it. Mm-hmm. But um but she could sing. Amy Irving was the singing voice for Jessica Rabbit in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. She sang, <laughs> get out of here, get me some money too. So we know she can sing. Uh William Katz Pippin, Betty Buckley the gym teacher is a huge Broadway star. Um, who like played, uh, bringing it back to Norma Desmond, I mentioned for Piper Laurie, uh, she, Betty Buckley played Norma Desmond in the musical Sunset Boulevard on Broadway and in London. Among other things, she was in Carrie the Musical. But, um, so I was just like, oh my gosh, the only person I don't know who can, <laughs> cause John Travolta can sing. I don't know if Nancy Allen can. I don't think I've ever seen her sing in anything. And I don't know if Piper Laurie can, but she's got that theatrical voice, so she can fake it. She could just, Carrie! <laughs> <laughs> so 
she'll find a way. Yeah. She can she can just scream her way through the songs. For sure. That would be fun. Yeah. Yeah. But um anyway, back to the movie. Um I also something occurred to me like when just at the opening, because it opens uh with the volleyball scene where the girls yeah. are all, you know, hit hit it to Carrie. She'll she'll screw it up or whatever. And yeah. and the you eat shit of it all. And it always gets me, like it always hooks me right into the movie. But um there's something about I, I noticed this time, like Sissy SpaceX kind of immobile, apologetic shruggery with which she acts like, you know, as they're all just piling on her and uh PJ Souls even whips her with the, you know, aforementioned infamous hat. Yeah. And and the last thing that Chris Hargenson does is like, you eat shit, and she just kind of like throws her uh, 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 Sissy Spacek just kind of like in 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 like in an act of giving up, kind of just like drops her hands down out of frame. Like I I don't know what to do, and it reminded me of I think it was just called Bully. Um, this just a, a, a documentary that was released maybe about a decade ago, where they just followed kids around with cameras and just kind of like observed them and. They found this kid who was getting bullied relentlessly by other kids on like the school bus and in the halls and everything like that. Um, and it just reminded me of the way he, he reacted when he would get bullied. He'd get smacked and like, you know, set, have horrible things said to him. And he would just kind of stand there and just kind of reel from it, but not really let it in and just kind of, you know, I don't know. There was this weird, um, double parked, mentality about it like i'm here but i'm not kind of thing like i feel bad but i can't really like show them what i'm feeling so i'll just kind of stand here and stumble around and um there's something about i don't know there's just something about sissy spacex uh physicality throughout this entire movie but particularly in that moment where it just felt so incredibly authentic to me and if it was authentic in 76 and authentic like a decade ago maybe it always was maybe that's just what a bullied kid looks like is just that kind of you know one who continues to be bullied who never pushes back and who if they ever did try to push back was kind of beat into submission so they don't push back anymore you know what i mean mm-hmm. um that was just one thing i observed like from her physicality this time i'm always noticing new things in sissy spacex performance like it's we don't we don't use the oscars as a barometer here but she she deserves everything she was ever nominated for for that performance especially because with such a long career that she's had, I don't think I've ever seen her be Carrie in anything else. You know what I mean? Like she's incredibly, there can be incredibly subtle turns or really dynamic ones that like kind of swerve away from Carrie, but whatever it is, I'm always watching a different character from that initial experience I had watching her play Carrie white. That was my first exposure to her as an actress and it's unforgettable. I don't know if I've seen very many movies that she's been in. Oh my gosh. Um, If you're a Twin Peaks fan, um, there's that David Lynch Disney movie he did, A Straight Story, that she's in. Um, If I'm remembering correctly, I believe she's in that. Um, I mean, uh, David Lynch is kind of. No, David Lynch is kind of like hit or miss for me, to be honest. Oh, okay. Um, Okay. But. (laughs) Then maybe not. Um, it's it's got its moments. It's oh, kind of I remember fun weird. I think I've seen this one, <laughs> Trading Mom. Oh, I haven't seen that. You know, G-rated family fun. Anna Klonsky. No. 
no, no. No, I mean, she had a smaller role in The Help. More people, maybe, if they, if they haven't seen her in anything else yeah. prior to that, she did that. But the coal miner's daughter, wa- oh, my God, must watch. Her and Tommy Lee Jones are insane and, and <clears throat> wonderful. There's this one. Oh, you, you haven't seen Three Women, have you? Robert Altman's film? No. It's her and Shelley Duvall. And Hi. Sissy Spacek is great in it. But, yeah, exactly. That Shelley Duvall. <laughs> Um, anyway, Wendy yeah. Torrance, oh. but Shelley Duvall is amazing, and you should see that. Is is it, like is it is it is it horror? No, but you know I'm very weird. snobbery with my my horror. I know you're very exclusive. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try to find another horror movie she made, but I don't I don't think she made. I'm trying to. Oh, she did that one. I loved her performance in it, but I did not like the movie. Um, I can't remember what it was called right now. Was it an American Haunting? The that sounds about, about like, right. Yeah. I, 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 I never saw it, but I distinctly remember. Uh, I, I, it's. Yeah. I'll, I'll just requote Clark Wolf's uh, uh, kind of like disclaimer for Hereditary. It's not fun. <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to watch an American haunting and go, and after it's over, go, whoo! Oh, that was great. You're yeah. going to be like really depressed and probably want to, you know. Cut your dick off, but <laughs> wow, because that's what it did to me. That's what it did to me. I hated the fact that I was a man after I saw that movie, and I'm a gay man, so I had no place hating myself. But I just hated my entire gender. Let's <laughs> let's move on from that. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I have a question. Yeah, what is with this fucking like? I don't obviously like you were not a high school student in 1976, but what's with this? It's like this weird like prom politics where they're just like you can't go to the prom unless you have a date. What's that that about? That was true at my prom too. I think it was. (laughs) Oh. I mean, heteronormativity is definitely there because yeah. um, they were, I don't think anybody was in like a gay couple when they went to the prom at my prom. And I've been to three of them. Um, only one of them was my school's prom. Like I went to my senior prom and then I went to another friend's after that when I was still, you know, young enough that it wasn't creepy. Yeah. And then another friend's after that. And I was still kind of young enough that it wasn't creepy, but I knew this was my last one. Um, but no, it, the, the, I, it, it, I don't believe that's the rule anymore. I hope, but do prom, are there, was, do proms even happen yeah. still? I mean, just, just, I have no idea. I, who they knows do. what Gen Z, you know, does <laughs> at, at this point or they're just like, yeah, proms are so like of the past that we don't No, we don't do. they happen. No, no. Have you ever heard about like promposals? Like they're a huge thing now. People do like choreograph the way they used to choreograph. Um, well, oh, what do they call them when like a bunch of people flash mobs and stuff like okay. that? They do that level of production for like prom posals. Will you go to the prom with me? I'm gonna sing a song and I'm gonna dance with like oh. 16 people behind me and I'm gonna pop out of a cake and I'm gonna serve you your favorite meal and I'm gonna, you know, fly, I definitely fly you on a saw, jet. yeah, I definitely <laughs> saw this is a while ago and they did it like to uh anaconda (laughs) (laughs) what the fuck am i watching um but that was still like that was like still like probably like seven years ago or or anything but yeah okay i mean i i don't doubt that there isn't like a dance thing but i just like what are the like the rules like if if any because like it seemed really weird 
Um, cause when, when they said, um, or when Miss Collins said to Sue, just like, so you're just going to stay home. And I'm just like, well, why can't she go there? And then I remembered, oh, there was the, <clears throat> the line about like, you, you can't go to the prom unless yeah. you have a date. And right. <laughs> I'm pretty sure like looking at that crowd, there were plenty of people there who did not have dates. I mean, maybe those were like <laughs> the, like the prom committee or, or someone, but like probably. Yeah. Cause I guess, PJ Souls Norma was with the one guy who like volunteered, you know, for the Freddie. Yeah, give me one of those beers. Yeah, that guy. and all it looked like who, was just like these people would never start they're, kicking. They're not actually like <laughs> a couple in real life, but it was just like more of like opportunity to go to the prom. So you totally, had to, yeah, you had to like find someone. Sort I just thought they were horrible, yeah. freewheeling people. Like, so, like I, I wouldn't shame them for their sluttiness, but. They, they happen to both be slutty and also like, you know, like, hey, we have so much in common. We both want to dump pig's blood on Carrie. Here, and we- <laughs> okay, well, here's another question for you. So was Billy Nolan a student at the school? Because we don't ever see him at the school other than like, right. at the, you know, when they sneak in at the prom. And he seems so much older. Like he seems like, you know, her, <laughs> her like... 25 year old boyfriend (laughs) (laughs) i think they cast him because he was famously john travolta hadn't this was his first movie too but he had been playing a teenager in welcome back cotter at the time and so they were used to seeing him be a teen so i think that's the only reason he got the i mean apart from the fact that i think he does a really really good job they wanted to make him less of a sociopath than he is in the book i don't honestly see that's another reason i have to reread the book that's one thing i don't remember is Billy Nolan's uh, kind of uh, 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 context, like why he belongs in this book, aside from he's like uh, Chris Harginson's counterpart. Like he, she needs somebody to have scenes with to bounce off of. Yeah. But the thing is, in the book, they're a lot heavier and a lot more abusive and a lot scarier than they are in the movie. In the movie, like Nancy Ellen has gone on record to say she, she and John Travolta would shoot their scenes and they thought that they were the comic relief because the crew was falling apart after all of their takes. Oh, they're absolutely they- the comic relief, though. Yeah. <laughs> they're like the... Because- Bumbling like the the uh who's like the, the Rocky and Bullwinkle villains. Oh Boris and Natasha? Yeah, like they're like they're like those ones. Cause they're just like they're always like smacking each other and it's like it, yeah. each time it happens, it's like like he, he smacks her, but she smacks him even more. Um, right. it's just very abusive, very toxic. And, and she keeps I mean, calling him a dumb shit and then pushing him away, but then pulling him in and then pushing him away, but then reeling him in again. And, and yeah. And and no matter like what way like their their relationship is perceived, like yeah. by the end of it, like she's fully in control. Like he does not give a fuck about Carrie or anything. Like no, he's sitting he, in the passenger no. seat of the car with like beer running down yep. his chin. She's yeah. the one that's all like Cruella DeVille, like, I'm going to get you. And <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, they're total oh comic relief. Now, um, that you th- now that you mention it, when they're looking through the window at Miss Collins' death, that's one of my favorite uh images having Miss Collins dying on one side of the screen and seeing no and seeing Chris Harginson on the other side of the screen and actually seeing Chris scared for something because it's almost like I don't know it it, it plays to the dimension of the character because she can still 
be scared for a character she hates because life and death is scary. But yeah. um, I, now that you mention it, like I'm so focused on Nancy Allen's face and on Betty Buckley and Betty Buckley's stunt double uh, executing that's that part of the screen. Um, I need to look for Billy Nolan's face the next time I watch the movie to see like, is he reacting? Like what, if, or is he just there guzzling beer? <laughs> like, you know, what's yeah. going on? It looks like, like, you know, <laughs> it looks like a, a, a I don't know, like a, yeah. a rave. There weren't any raves in the 1976, but you know, it looks yeah. like a disco floor. Yeah. That yeah, totally. Anyway. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Like the, because, you know, I mentioned before, like, my the my favorite part of the movie, I mean, like, there's so many favorite parts, but just, like, because, you know me, like, I, I tend to glom towards the, the comedic aspects of, like, these really, like, dark, terrible movies. So just, like, anything yeah. involving, like, Chris, like, especially in, like, uh, phys ed detention, because the whole thing, it's just, because what does she say? She's, like, shove it up your ah. And yeah, yeah. Like, you may as well just commit to saying the whole thing at that point. But just the way, like the dramatics of the way that Miss Collins like marches up to her and slaps her like the most violent slap ever. Like mm-hmm. high school teachers would would not do that. Uh, they would not even do that. Like when I first watched this movie in, in the in the nineties. But it just like it's no. it's so dramatic. Mm-hmm. That I can't help but laugh at it. And then, of course, there's my favorite line that, you know, you you know so well. It's just like, who, who, who are you, who's taking you to the prom? Billy, Billy Nolan. Nolan. Sorry, could you speak up a little bit? Billy Nolan. I didn't hear Sorry, you. can you speak up? Billy Nolan. <laughs> <laughs> well, isn't he the lucky one? <laughs> <laughs> it's such a it's yeah. such a compared to yeah. what's coming it's such a kind of soft shoed yeah. <laughs> like velvet yeah. velvety uh put down but uh, <laughs> oh every, everything about that scene like even the uh she's just like spit out that gum Hargensen. where would you like me to put it like she's and she's acting all like you know innocent yeah. and, like, and just like you can choke <laughs> on it for all i care just get it out of your mouth yeah um, yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh, it's so great. It's just like, and, oh, and her line, like, it's just like, it's such a, like, it's such a comical villain line when she's, she's running away. Well, she's trying to recruit everyone and they're just like not having it. And she's like, this isn't over. This isn't over by a long shot. Yeah, <laughs> like, I love it. <laughs> like normally, I mean, just because of like what the story is, like clearly someone should have checked on that. But like everyone else is just like, even Sue, like she's just like, just shut up. Like nobody's taking her seriously. They're just like pathetic, really. Like she's there's nothing that she can do. Um, Yeah. But you know she she is the catalyst of murder. So (laughs) she 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 really is like a very uh, vicious uh, villain. uh, She is in, in spite of herself. Yeah. But she's also one thing that I like that I again I feel like they they allude to in the movie but it's spelled out a little at least for my taste like it's spelled out a little bit more clearly in the book they kind of juxtapose uh this this innocence and I by innocence I mean inexperience of Carrie against a similar kind of innocence and inexperience with Chris like the two of them both throw tantrums in a weird way, like they're 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 kind of half formed. They're not they're not even young women yet because they're still capable of 
these extreme displays of childhood, you know, or childlike, childish, I don't know what the right word is, yeah. behavior, childhood adjacent behavior that, and when you're a teenager, you are kind of like bridging the gap between adulthood and and uh, 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 childhood. But um, there's something about the two of them and their inability to function as people so the they 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 lean on these people who kind of guide them, and Chris leans lar- in the book. She leans largely on her father, um, who is a character in the book. I won't go too much into the book, but then also leans on Billy a lot because he's like her henchman, yeah. and um, and down for anything that's sick and twisted. And then Carrie leans on her mother for a great deal of time, but then leans on it's not Miss Collins in the book; it's Miss Dis- Disjardin. But um, or, or as I like to, I, I like to say, Desjardins, Miss Desjardins, Mademoiselle Desjardins. But uh, now we're all of a sudden French. the uh, the the chef from The Little Mermaid. Always, <laughs> um, <laughs> that is the only kind of French Desjardins, impression that I can do. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> and I think that's the only kind of French character that like Disney can uh, yeah. create because Lumiere. Look at that. Yeah, um, he's the only French character in a, in France in Beauty and the Beast. Anyway, so Carrie. Um, but so, and I feel like they allude to that here with like the way that. Um, both the one nobody has more physical violence inflicted on them in this movie than Carrie and Chris. They're both slapped across the face repeatedly. Yeah. Um, well, and then all the people at the prom, but yeah. No, no, no. But I mean, <laughs> okay, but non fatal acts of violence. Let's okay. put it that way. Because uh, I kept thinking, like, oh, my God, Carrie gets slapped by Mrs. Collins. Chris gets slapped by Mrs. Collins. Chris, yes, she slaps Billy, but she gets slapped just as hard back by him. Uh, Carrie gets whapped, whapped, whopped across the face uh, uh, by her mother and, you know, dragged and shut up into a closet and everything like that. And then has her her coffee or her tea thrown on her, you know? I I have a question for you because you just, you kind of skirted around it, but I would like you to elaborate on her, Chris's relationship with her father in the book. Cause I, I know that that's a character who appears in the remake and we won't get into the remake here. Right. Um, But I do remember the scene because this is obviously updated for like 2013 and it's all, everything has been recorded on, like it's on Vine or whatever. And and he's like a lawyer in the thing and and she's like, but daddy. And he's just like, you were stupid. Like you, you shouldn't have, you know, got it on video. Like that's your own fault. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm just, I'm curious to know what the relationship is in the book because, you know, for, in, literature like usually like that the villain of the story is somehow like a reflection of the uh, or the the protagonist is a reflection of the antagonist and vice versa yeah and because i mean like in the movie chris's hatred of carrie like she she literally says like i hate carrie white so yeah. much and it's just like but why we we don't really know so there's obviously there has to be some sort of projection involved in in yeah. in this that she's you know she's there's something about carrie that she doesn't like that she doesn't like about herself so right. so please like what what is the the relationship with with her father in the book 
Oddly enough, we don't, as if my memory serves, we don't really get to observe the two of them, like their dynamic together, if I remember correctly. But we do get introduced to her father when he has a discussion, I don't believe even with the principal, but with the vice principal. He goes to the school and he's like this big Mr. Harginson mucky muck. I forget what he does, but he's, he's big money bags Harginson. You know, he's yeah. got all this power and all this wealth and all this influence. So he thinks he can go in there and threaten the school. And and get them, uh, you know, to 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 let his uh, daughter off and everything like that because she didn't really do anything wrong, and um, so he's in the he's there to 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 defuse the situation. And the vice principal's job in his head, because we're in the book, we're in his mind, is to stand his ground and basically play this game of fourth dimensional chess with Mister Harginson to stick it to Chris and to let him know, no, I'm the one in control here. This is my school kind of thing. So um, you just see them talking and you don't get much insight to him. You just get the, 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 the very kind of like prototypical or stereotypical idea of like, uh, like I said, old money bags, father and bratty little princess daughter who gets anything she wants. Cause even the way she describes, <clears throat> we only get them in their descriptions and the way she describes her father, it's like, daddy's going to fix something for me or daddy's going to do this for me. And if daddy can't do it, then Billy's going to do it because Billy will do what daddy doesn't, you know, like kind of thing. And it's just really yeah. gross. And again, just infantile, like, you know, like, like you should not be a teenager thinking like that. Um, much in the same way that like, there's a lot of thoughts that Carrie has. I mean, not even thoughts, like they're both, sorry, just to go back to like the parallel that you were drawing. One of the things about Carrie in the book that I really respond to is how often before she starts to kind of assume this poise and this, uh, uh, power over her own life, her own decision-making, she's alluded to a lot as any kind of livestock. She's alluded to as a cow or a lamb or a pig or like any, anything under the sun that's like, you know, like in a barnyard and large and bovine, you know, kind of thing. Even that word bovine is used to describe her more than once because she's actually um, uh, a plus size girl in the uh, in the book. So I've, ne I've only seen one incarnation where she was portrayed by a girl who was portrayed, who was described as plump. And I hope that there's another incarnation at some point that makes her a girl of size because it create it just creates a different dynamic. I love Sissy Spacek's performance in the movie. I would never want to cast anybody else in that incarnation, but it's like, come on, get a, get a plus size girl in there. Anyway. Um, but as far as the dynamic between the two of them, it's, it's pretty much what you would assume. It doesn't go very deep, but then again, neither does Carrie's relationship with her mother. Her mother is really stern and unrelenting and just a kind of like a force of darkness. There's no love lost between the two of them. You don't even really get the sense that she's motivated to help Carrie, that any of this is like, you know, to, to boost her upward because, you know, it'll, it'll bring her closer to the Lord. It seems to be largely sadistic and, uh, probably she needs some kind of treatment. She should be in a facility somewhere because this kind of abuse is, it shouldn't go unchecked. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it, it could be called one note, but because the, the book moves like the movie at such a brisk pace and it, it really drives toward the event, which is the prom, which occupies a yeah. large portion of the book. Um, just like it occupies a large portion of the movie. 
Um, you just kind of need to get the essence of it. And what you get is a lot of brutality and a lot of, um, I don't know, a lot of like parental child unions where the parent wants to remain in power and keep their child a child. And the child has up until this point kind of voluntarily assumed that role. And the book is all about what is it like when I start to make my own decisions? And that even happens with Sue Snell. We don't get as much of her parents in there, but with Sue, it's about what kind of person do I want to be? Like she, she starts imagining what her life is going to be like after graduation. If she marries Tommy and they stay in the suburbs and live across the street from Chris and Billy Nolan and have to have barbecues with them. Oh, and I know. I mean, exactly. Billy Nolan was never going to be that, uh, figure uh but she even imagines like the kind of unrelenting motions toward those lives like well what is he going to do to get himself out of that situation probably nothing because chris is in the driver's seat so he'll probably resent the hell out of her he'll probably start beating her he'll probably you know and she'll probably have to like you know smile at chris through it all and pretend that they're just as close as they always were and that she doesn't think she's like they'll, this they'll end know, up as the, the they'll end up as the l rods from halloween too just like oh she's always <laughs> bragging on her he probably just got annoyed and started beating her big deal <laughs> see that's the thing is like that'll I, be that'll be uh sue and tommy's <laughs> daughter um <But> it, <laughs> But when it comes to the movie, like the the ambiguity, like the yeah. aforementioned uh, ambiguity about like some people or that some people assume they don't know, like is Sue or Tommy like in on it or anything like that. For me, there's plenty pushed forward behavior wise that just kind of give me signs like, well, of course, Sue isn't in on it. Look how terrible she looked and how guilty and forlorn she looked when Miss Collins was it went right after she asked Chris, like, I'm sorry, could you speak up? Well, isn't he the lucky one? It's like, and what about you, Sue? And even her, Betty Buckley's own Southern accent comes out, her Texan accent comes yeah. out a little bit. And I love it because it kind of matches Sissy Spacek and what Piper Laurie's doing because they're both Southern too. But, um, <laughs> but, um, it's like, what about you, Sue? And she's just like, <laughs> Tommy Ross, right. And just looks at her with this disdain. You just see Sue like gulp down this humble pie and just feel so terrible about what she did. Mm -hmm. And even prior to that, like when she's pitching uh, the pads like at Carrie in the locker room and Miss Collins like grips her and she's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Yeah. But Sue... But Sue is just kind of standing there telling her, like, it's scary. She's got her period. And she's kind of laughing nervously. But she's almost, like, got this hysterical thing going all of a sudden. Like, she's lost herself. And, like, you know, like, somebody else was in the driver's seat. I don't even know what I'm doing. What are you talking about? I I didn't really articulate it. We're just having fun because Carrie and her period. Oh, it probably doesn't look that good. Oh, shit. What? What? And there's one shot after... Miss Collins tells them all to just get out of there mm-hmm. where everybody's kind of like giggling or tittering and like moving awkwardly away. And you just see this look on uh, Amy Irving as Sue just kind of like backing out of her shot, just kind of shrugging and shaking her head like, I- 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 I'm sorry, I didn't know, you know, but, but wordlessly. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, there's so much in the forefront behavior wise mm-hmm. that I adore about this movie. Well, <clears throat> so much to address. I probably don't even remember everything because because that was a lot but just in terms of uh uh, chris and 
uh, Margaret. Because they're both... The, the interesting thing about this movie is that it's kind of like two separate movies in one. Because mm. the like the high school stuff is like completely far removed from all like the, the stuff at home. Mm. And... Th- you have both of these characters who are like the villains or, you know, the worst part of, of each of these worlds for Carrie. And they're even mm. got to a point where I was just like watching it. Cause it's just like, especially at the beginning when they're like, you're excused from classes, you can go home. And yeah. it's like, but what does she have to go home to? It's like, it's almost worse there. We're just like, yeah. which one is better? Where, where's the, the better place for Carrie to be? Um, that's, you know, like ultimately it just, it, it, it always comes back to home because that's where the movie finishes. Like that's where, that's like the ultimate yeah. horror um, yeah. after the prom. And that's why I said like, you know, it, it didn't matter how the night turned out at the prom. Like she could have gone to, I forget what the name of the, the place was that they said that they were going to go oh, to. Um, um, yeah. He said, I don't remember. Yeah. Um, she might have had like a wonderful night at like the best night. The of beehive. Her life. It was the beehive. The beehive. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. We're gonna go to the <laughs> beehive. Oh, that sounds so great. I've never been there. But yeah, she was gonna go home, and her mom was gonna stab her. I know you're saying that like you know she would have had her her uh, faculties about her, um, mm-hmm. but it, regardless, like if <clears throat> Margaret was going to be sneaky about it. Like she could have done whatever she wanted to, to Carrie, because I don't think like, even when Carrie left for the prom, like, yeah, she was very forceful when she's just like, stay down and like, don't speak until I'm gone. Um, But she says to her, just like, you know, I'm going to be back at a certain time. I'll be home early. Yeah. Everything's like, everything's going to be okay. And like, it's going to be great. And like, you know, she's, like Carrie's very hopeful and I, I think that she's just, she's not being realistic about who her mother is. And mm. it's almost like, it's like the, the, like tapping into her powers throughout the movie is sort of like giving her, like she's literally like, she's, she's having a, a taste of it and she's like, Oh, I have like the full control here. And she's never being, um, like she's never using those powers against her mother in a way that's sort of like domineering to say like, mm. I'm calling the, sh- like, this is all about me now. She's more so just being like, you know, I'm just trying to do what's best for me, which is like completely the opposite of Margaret. Who's like, everything is just about repression and, and yada, yada, yada. So I think that just because Carrie doesn't have, like, it's not in her nature to, to be that way, to, to be that like selfish with her powers when it comes mm. to her mother that it like, it wouldn't matter. The mom would still find a way to, to uh, take care of her somehow. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, all this alternate universe talk, <laughs> <laughs> the, <laughs> the alternate timeline. Yeah. The ca- <laughs> um, I mean, it, it would depend on a lot of other like factors, like, you know, Carrie moving out and everything like that. Oh God, don't get me talking about the TV movie. But, um, uh, but I mean, I just think in terms of like her interactions with them, if she could have like broken away from her mother, cause if she could have gotten out of that residential setup as soon as possible, who's to say 
I don't know if Margaret would have left the house to try and kill her. I think <laughs> the 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 confinement of uh, that incredible desi- incredibly designed home, which I want to talk about also, just from a design standpoint, the interior and the exterior. Um, I can't remember what he. I think he was an AD on this. Uh, Sissy SpaceX husband was. He was actually the one on set squeezing the blood uh in her hand in the shot where you see the blood fall below one thigh onto another and um because you know he's her husband she can trust him like having his hand near her naked body and um but he was in charge of he was uh scouting locations for the exterior for the white household i can't i don't want to call it the white house but um for the white household (laughs) and one thing that he discovered about the exterior of their home that i notice every single time i watch the movie now is the asymmetry of it the fact that things don't seem to line up like every the way something is on one side never seems to kind of like mirror the way it is on the other side so there's an imbalance to it um and once he noticed it he couldn't ever unsee it and um so i appreciate that but also just the interior because here I was talking about like the the authenticity, like the authentic feel, like in the schools and like even in the Snell household, like that's clearly uh, a functioning house because you can see like you know the driveway and you can hear the ambient kind of like bird song and everything like that. You can see the sunlight streaming the way it does, like an afternoon after you know a school day. Um, you get into the White household and it's clearly a set. But even more than that, the way it's shot, because it's a set and not like a practical house, you can remove walls and you can back up and you can get these really, really long proscenium shots. One of my favorite ones is is, uh, after Carrie's eavesdropping on the phone call Margaret White gets from the school, Carrie walks down the steps when Margaret summons her. She's like, I know you're listening. Come downstairs at once. And she does. And you see the, the camera just kind of pull back and you see... Margaret White way in the background and 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 uh, Carrie in the foreground walking down the staircase and you get to see those wonderful sharp almost pious <laughs> arches that they have those really harsh sharp yeah. ones that look like a temple or look like a church or some other kind of like place of worship and it's just all of a sudden you're in um maybe like you were saying like another movie like that here we've been largely naturalistic up until this point and now we're kind of like in this grand um uh theatrical setting uh where even the acting is different <laughs> because of Piper Laurie's you know yeah. to the back row and and I love that she interpreted it that way cuz I prefer experiencing that Margaret White to the one that she read the first time she read the script which was the Margaret White of the book which is I mean I don't mean she read the book but when she read the script she thought this is so heavy and so like just melodramatic i don't i don't want to do this and her husband said you don't understand brian de palma makes comedies like i mean at their heart like dark comedy she's like oh i read it the wrong way okay so she read the script again (laughs) thinking this is a comedy comedy and when she read it in that tone she thought oh i can do this And Brian De Palma never checked her. He never really gave her notes or anything like that. Yeah. He just kind of yeah. let her go and do whatever felt right. And um, all, it's all interesting that you say that because it's like both both villains, both of the heavies of the, yeah. the movie, are you know playing to comedy. 
Uh, Of course, I get that more from from Chris because like uh, Margaret White is just terrifying in any way that you spin the character. But the um, yeah, the thing that I noticed from the house, because it it obviously is a set because the uh, like the second story is I don't know what you'd call like the I forget the, the term for it, the architectural term where like the windows are kind of like jutting out in their own little uh triangle space thing there because oh, yeah. it's almost like it's a cross design because there's like you know one on each side uh unless right. there was a, that was the asymmetry that wasn't they weren't on the other side but um when you go upstairs in the movie there's like this huge space and there's like clearly like there's at least like carrie's bedroom and there's a bathroom uh like in the center of this like huge room where there's like mannequins and or just the one mannequin but you know it may Mm -hmm. as well have just been like the halloween 2018 uh room Uh, i mean we get just as much of a feel for the dimensions for the (laughs) for for what the space is exactly in this movie as we do in in 2018 yeah so there's so it definitely does create this disorientation uh, totally. of like going inside the house from from how it looks outside. And I also noticed like a lot, like especially more so at the beginning of the movie, I found that this kind of like went away after the first act was this sort of like haziness, Vaseline lens thing that they had mm. going on. It was like especially evident like you know when when carrie's walking home and the kids on the bike and she's like creepy carrie creepy carrie ah! um yeah and and then it when it shows him and he's it's almost like he's got this halo around him and then and then in the, in the next shot she's walking to the house and it's the first time we see the house and it's like yeah the whole screen is just like blurry in a way yeah. and it's almost like reminiscent to the like the end of the movie, the Sue Snell dream. They're yeah. just like, are they trying to say that this is all just a dream? Like, when does it's like Nightmare on Elm Street? When does the dream begin and end? I think it's probably just a, a, a side effect of shooting at a particular brightness in in the afternoon <laughs> outside. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe that's that's a part of it. But uh, and maybe they just that was the lens they had on that particular day, and they were like, just shoot it. Yeah. But uh, maybe they're just right, waiting for it to burn off or something. <laughs> but you're right. There is a particular haze. Maybe that's why Brian De Palma felt the need for the final sequence with Amy Irving, the dream sequence that we don't know the first time we're watching it is a dream sequence, although she's barefoot and everything, but he, he, he shot it backwards, like, or it staged it backwards and then ran the film in the opposite direction. And that's what we're watching. But Amy Irving was actually walking backwards and instead of kneeling down, standing up and you know, all that stuff um, just so it could have a, an extra dreamlike quality. Maybe he noticed that himself because Brian De Palma's got a great eye Mm-hmm. So I have a feeling maybe he saw the shot of, uh, I believe that was his son, the boy on the bicycle, Cameron De Palma, uh, who creepy Carrie, creepy Carrie. And that's Betty Buckley's voice, mm-hmm. the gym teacher, Ms. Collins, going, <laughs> oh, oh. Because <laughs> <laughs> if you hear that voice and then you see his reaction when he's looking at her, he does a really good performance, too. Yeah. It doesn't match up. That voice does not come out of that boy. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, maybe he saw that that in in dailies or something, and thought like, "Oh shit, this is <laughs> this is what the dream sequence is going to look." Like. Okay, I'll just make them walk backwards and run it back, and maybe yeah. it'll look a little different. Maybe I don't know. 
But um, another thing I appreciate in terms of what he was able to capture is the mo the the after. Uh, I mean, there's so many sequences. We could. I mean, honestly, there are podcasts you know that like dissect like Star Wars by the minute, and I I, I listen to one that dissects uh, uh, Batman v Superman by the minute. Oh, the on. the three the three hour cut. Um, because I really like that movie. But um, thing I I don't think it's perfect, but there's a lot of there's a lot to it. Um, and I think by the minute, like, is the perfect way to break it down. I could do a by the minute podcast of Carrie. Um, Who would you do that just with? Go... <laughs> <laughs> I guess not Zach Cherry. But, <laughs> but no, I mean, just because, I mean, there's so much investment in the filmmakery of, of this movie. I feel like I literally do have something to say at length about every minute. Um and and that's excluding like comparing it to the book or to the other incarnations. You add that, who knows how many podcasts I could do just on Carrie alone. But um, uh, 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 the one one thing that uh, stood out to me that I always like to call attention to because I don't hear it talked about a lot. Like a lot of people talk about the one shot in the prom, you know, like that starts on Tommy and Carrie and you know goes all the way across the gym and then lands back on them and everything like that, revealing the pig blood and whatever, uh, everything staging it all before it's about to go down. Um, but one thing that I like to talk about is af- after the uh, destruction, when Carrie has already uh, overturned Billy and Chris's car and she's walking home, she's on the sidewalk, she slowly makes her way up and Pino Dinaggio score again like this, hi- these high strings and then these low moans from, I'm assuming, cellos. And... um and she's just slowly treading up the steps and then slowly making her way with this now kind of, uh, with these votive candles, like, you know, uh, who knows how many candles are in that house. And, um, this weird kind of grand procession march, like this religious march <laughs> that she's almost making up the stairs to her room. But then once she finally makes it up to the room, uh, again, another proscenium shot of, you know, a lot of upstairs, like there's the bathroom in the background. There's the reveal that's coming. If you don't know that Piper Laurie's standing there, it, you get the reveal with the light on her as Carrie makes her way through the bat, the, the, through into the bathroom. But as she's walking up the steps, everything about it suggests a silent movie to me. Like I just think about German expressionism and Nosferatu or cabinet of Dr. Caligari and just Dr. Caligari. And Carrie, <laughs> because there's something about Sissy SpaceX stance and the fact that it has been wordless. We have been like following her from the sidewalk for minute upon minute. <laughs> Maybe it feels like it's, it takes yeah. a long time. And just her, her, the way she's kind of got her back arched and the way she kind of looks at herself and the way she's not quite in silhouette. Because she's also kind of backlit, and then there's another light coming in from the side, so she's casting this long black shadow on the wall to her right. And I just, oh my god, I, I can drink it in every single time it happens. It is like some of the most luscious imagery being delivered, with some of the most beautiful score 
accompanying it before I break down again and she has to wash the pig's blood off of her in the tub. So we go from mm-hmm. something that feels very classic cinema to something that feels very contemporary at the time, like very 1970s yeah. raw no, you know, very little score and just watching yeah. a poor girl wash herself and cry, you know? Yeah. So, I know Interesting. You bring up that. Yeah. She doesn't, she hasn't said anything for a very long period of time. I think the last thing she yeah. says is to the devil with false modesty. <laughs> the devil. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's almost like she was just, she was sealing her fate. Uh, by by letting the devil in, um, yeah, yeah. That's I I didn't think of that the the German expressionism of mm. of that shot, but but you're absolutely right. Now that I think about it, um, and yeah, there's there's I mean, not that I would be up to the task, but there's a lot to to dissect from. I wouldn't say every minute of, of the film per se, but there, there, there's a lot to it that it, it, you know, it feels cheap that, you know, we're only, you know, talking about this in a, you know, one episode of a podcast that, you know, runs for like two hours or, or what have you. Mm-hmm. But, uh, there, there are a lot of moments to unpack and, yeah. and discuss and I could never stop. There's one thing I wanted to ask you about, cause how old were you the first time you saw this? Like 13, 14. Okay. So, uh, yeah. Sorry, I'm just making fun of your your vocal fry oh, there. <laughs> my noise, my noise is my, my, huh, okay, I want to ask this. Okay. Uh, 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 okay. Uh, <laughs> now I'm ready to ask. Okay. When you, <laughs> when you were 13 or 14 and that scene that you know the 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 comedy scene the vaudeville sketch between billy and chris <laughs> when they're in the car and when it finally gets the, to the proposition part where she's like taking his hand and putting it in her mouth <laughs> and then she like leans down and we hear the unzip of his zipper and she's got both of her hands somehow i think on his shoulders and her head down, you know, below the camera. And you just hear her, you see him get into a position and you hear her going, Billy, 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 <laughs> Billy. <laughs> when you were 13 or 14, what did you think was going on? Did you think she was just breathing on his stomach or? <laughs> no, she's giving, she, she, was, she, she was giving him a blowjob. While going, Billy. Billy. Yeah. Billy. <laughs> it's movie magic. Because <laughs> hands across the board, every person I've ever screened the movie for, seeing it for the first time, when they see that scene, they're always like, wait a minute. <laughs> so is she blowing him or not? Because it doesn't sound like there's anything in her mouth. <laughs> and I just imagine an alternate universe where... There's a cut of the film where, you know, Nancy Allen is just going, bruh, bruh. <laughs> <laughs> So or, maybe it was like ADR that they were just like, okay. Oh, it, it was work, definitely yeah. ADR. I have a feeling it was originally intended to be a blowjob and that she wasn't supposed to be saying anything. And then maybe the censors got in on it and said, we need to know that her there's nothing in her mouth. So they 
went back and ADR. I don't know this. I can't prove it, but it's just a theory. They, I thought they have a theory that Nancy Ellen had to go in and just say Billy repeatedly, breathily before she's like, I hate Carrie White. <laughs> and um, just so people wouldn't think that she, you know, was going down on him. Um, but the way I solve it in my head canon when I watch it now is I think she's just breathing on it. She's teasing him. She's, you know. <laughs> she's just breathing. Giving him a, she's giving him a preview. Like, I'll. Exactly. <laughs> like, I'll I'll do it, but I'm just kind of like teasing you because I hate Carrie White. And then once he says he'll do it, she does it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think it was an exchange of, of service Interesting. for goods. Services. Yeah. Services. Exchange of services. Anyway. Services. Yeah. <laughs> What's the good? Um, yeah. No, I, 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 I did not... Think about this. This was Stephen King's first book, right? Yeah, it even started off as a book, though. He wrote it in installments for a magazine, and he because he was doing that a lot. Yeah, and he came up with the idea. He wrote the first, I think, you know, chapter or treatment or whatever. Threw it away because he was inspired after working in um, as a janitor in a college. He would clean up girls' locker rooms, and he was fascinated by, number one, kind of like their weird social dynamic, and number two, um, he had to re- refill the, 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 the feminine napkin dispenser, and he was terrified of it. He was like, he, he was always uncomfortable. He always felt like it was something he shouldn't be doing. And that's kind of the way he felt when he first started writing it, because he was like, I feel like I'm writing about this very precarious time in a young woman's life. And he had read an article that said that sometimes, uh, not sometimes, that usually uh, for women, uh, they tend to kind of like thrive in their gift of telekinesis uh, when they begin their menstrual cycle. And so he wanted to write something about that. He saw the dynamic socially in the locker room and he knew two girls that he himself went to school with when he was um, at separate times in his life. Um, But when he was a boy, uh, I think, you know, once in grade school and then again, like as a teenager, um, two separate girls who were the inspiration for the character, Carrie White, and for her, you know, outcast uh, kind of like uh, 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 prototype. And okay. um, he started He started writing it. He lost faith in himself. He threw it away. His wife, I don't know if this was usual <laughs> at the time, if he'd throw something away and she'd pick it up out of the trash and read it. But she read this and she really liked it. And she went, she brought the pages back to him and, and he's like, I threw that away. And she's like, no, keep writing. It's really good. There's nothing else like it. And I'm hooked. So he's like, yeah. oh, Okay. And mm-hmm. and he ended up writing it in installments, and then finally made a novel because there, he wrote enough of it that there was the beginnings of a novel. So I think he just had to fill in the blanks after that, and that's what ended up becoming the novel. Because even the way the novel is presented, it's a dossier, you know, about everything yeah. that happened the night of the prom. Because Precary doesn't just destroy the gym at the high school; she destroys the town. <laughs> yeah, I mean, as is the case with yeah. most Stephen King adaptations, there's a lot of. Uh... Uh, changes. Liberties taken. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, this was so, yeah, so. this was his first novel. So this was his the first uh, 
movie adaptation. And they also, mm-hmm. they incorrectly spell his name as Steven with a V. Mm. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I guess the next one would have been The Shining. And we all know how he feels about that. Yeah. No, he actually, it's interesting because those two are kind of like uh, the opposites in terms of like the way he views them. Because with Carrie, he uh, has gone on record. I haven't seen him say it myself, but the rumor is that he uh, credits the movie as being better than the book. He think he thinks that the movie builds on what he plant the seeds he planted with the book and develops them and makes them even more accessible and even scarier. I, I I'm of two minds about that. I can see what he means, but at the same time, I think the book is pretty fucking great. Um, so I love them both. But he um, and he also credits the movie with putting him on the map because the book was doing well. It was doing okay, and then the movie came out and it was a huge hit. And all of a sudden, he's like. Horror Meister Stephen King, you know. Yeah. And okay. so yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Anything. Happy <laughs> um anything you want to say about uh Brian De Palma? Because we haven't really we sort of talked about him, but I mean that that I feel like I dance around it <laughs> because I otherwise I'm just going to be doing what Chris what we think Chris was doing to Billy. Uh, <laughs> to Brian De Palma, because I honestly, I don't, I, I, I feel like I only have praise based on the results. There were some turns he took as a filmmaker that I, that, that filmmakers, I talk about this often with like filmmakers of the seventies in particular, like the length to which they went to create realistic, uh, quote-unquote realistic uh, responses to particular things, particularly acts of violence, like the slap from Betty Buckley to Nancy Allen. Everybody has a different number that they ascribe to how many takes there were, but Nancy Allen swears on her life. She got slapped that day by Betty Buckley 29 times. For real, every single time. Because Brian De Palma wasn't getting the reaction he wanted from, from Nancy. He really wanted her just to be lost and exasperated. I guess as lost as Sissy Spacek is in the shower scene in the beginning. Uh, But he couldn't, this is the thing, Brian De Palma didn't tell his actors things. He just kind of staged things and oftentimes used Betty Buckley as a henchman himself, uh, herself, um, to carry out like these manipulations for the younger actors. Uh, And wasn't she, she wasn't too much older than any of them. No, because a lot, yeah. Yeah, because they were all in their 20s, you know, and she was, I think she was 27 when she, Betty Buckley was when she shot this and the rest of them were like 25 and younger. So um, they just like age her up with like makeup and because I noticed like her her makeup is like, it's a, it's a lot more (laughs) mature, we'll say for, yeah, than like like a high school students. I also think her demeanor, like even if you, I've seen pictures of her when she was very, very young and she always seemed to kind of like carry herself in a mature way she oh and she's got like a very very large face mature but also just like a very she's got a very very large features like a very very large framing of her face that you know everything's very separate and beautiful but um it but it it looks like an older person she just you know even when she was young 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 she looked older but um but uh, like we were talking i talked about amy irving uh her performance uh she's feeling terrible and everything like that um Brian De Palma wanted Amy Irving to well up 
while she's being berated by Mrs. Collins or Miss Collins. And, um, he, Amy, the way Amy, Amy, I can't talk anymore. The way Amy Irving Irma tells Irma. it. The way Irma Irving tells it. Irma Stuvers was up for a role in this movie too, but uh, Irma Irving, Irma Irving was in Courier, and she, uh, she, the way she tells the story, she says, all he needed to do was tell me, I'd like you to well up in the next take, and I would have been like, okay, give me a moment, and then, you know, I would have welled up for him, but he, for whatever reason, took Betty and had her off camera, and we had been carpooling together. Um, Amy Irving and Betty Buckley for a long time in the shoot up until that point. And it, they had a lot of really personal talks while they're stuck in traffic and stuff like that. So Betty Buckley knew a lot of Amy Irving's like intimate details, like about, you know, her, her feelings and her aspirations and stuff. And Betty Buckley just started tearing her down and telling her horrible things about like how her dreams are never going to happen and how, what a loser she was and how stupid she is. And like just horrible, horrible things. Like on the set? On the set. That is what is happening in the reaction shot. Where Sue Snell is like welling up and looking terrible. Betty Buckley is yelling horrible things to Amy Irving (laughs) (laughs) to get that reaction. So as much as I receive this film as the gift and the work of art that it is, there are some things about Brian De Palma's (laughs) method of working that as an actor, I do not appreciate. And if I were a party to... I might have walked off set, you know? Well, <laughs> I might have needed seems, a muffin basket. He seems like more of a technical <laughs> director. Like, at least that's what I've yeah. always got from him. I don't really know much about yeah. the the actor's experiences with him. But I just think just because he's so well known for his, like, trademark style of just, like, like sure. the, the slow motion scene. We were actually yeah. supposed to start this, uh, like, a recording tonight uh, a bit earlier and I, I had to message Edward and just be like, I need 30 more minutes because I'm still watching the movie. And I and I <laughs> message you because you're just like, well, when? And I'm just like, okay, they just announced the prom king and queen winner. So there's at yeah. least 30 more minutes until the blood actually drops <laughs> over Because <laughs> that scene, it just like, it goes on forever. And I But love I love it because, yeah, you're just like yeah. so absorbed in like every tense moment of it and it's just like that's i don't know because you said that he was known for comedies before this um because i'm just that's what piper laurie's husband said (laughs) what is he now um he he wasn't he wasn't like a a comedy director like in terms mm -hmm. of like uh, like mel brooks or something like that but like he was just trying to let him know like he has a dark sense of humor in to everything that he does so maybe you should mock the material a little bit more than you oh, you were when you read it the first time. Yeah, Maybe there's almost like a... Quite so earnest. There's, there's a way about his style. It's almost like similar to uh, like Paul Verhoeven in a way, but it's like, it's maybe oh, like... <laughs> in, I mean, like just in like, I, I like the emphatic nature of like some of... And, uh, you know, that comes out in the performances as well, but there's like, there's like this very specific energy um, that I've noticed in in the Brian De Palma films that I've seen, you know, like Scarface, um, sure. just going through Raising Cain. That's one that mm-hmm. I really love too. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> that it's just like it's they have those moments. There's just like it's almost like over the top camp, but done in such a refined mm-hmm. way that it doesn't 
feel like it. I feel like with Paul Verhoeven, it's like he doesn't have that that ability to to refine it, but it's still like it's the same energy. If that makes sense. I think the connective tissue for me between Brian De Palma and Paul Verhoeven is maybe a fever dreamy aspect to <laughs> at least what I've been exposed to from both of them. Like, I mean, I'm with you as far as the theatricality and everything like that. But then mm. I also think about like the things that occur to them and that they put on camera like I'm thinking about Showgirls and Hollow Man and <laughs> arguably even uh, Basic Instinct, but yeah. I'm also thinking about for for Paul Verhoeven, but I'm also thinking uh, for Brian De Palma about um, I think maybe his most fever dreamy for me is Sisters, um, with an incredible uh, 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 performance from Margot Kidder, but because um, I still don't know when that movie ends, what the fuck I just saw. But uh, I need to see it again now that I think about it. And even Phantom of the Paradise is really broad. It, it borderline cheese with how campy it is at times. But it it is done with like this refined. Again, it's so incredibly Brian De Palma that I I I thrive on it. Like I gravitate yeah. toward it. I'm magnetized by it. With Paul Verhoeven, I'm a little bit more at arm's length, but I do watch. I do. <laughs> the, I don't devour it the same way I do with Brian De Palma, but I do think there is something to yeah. this parallel that you're drawing between the, the two of them. The last, and I mean, also the fact that like a lot of their movies are, you know, kind of do dive into like maybe that like sort of like erotic thriller in, in mm-hmm. a sense too. They they have that in common. The last movie I've seen of his, because he hasn't done a lot uh, in the last. 23 years um but uh the the black dahlia that was the last movie i saw of his and it wasn't Mm. great i know that it it, i was what was that that. oh were you really i was was an extra you can't see me i don't even know if the scene made it into the movie because i never saw the movie but i saw josh hartnett in person and I got a free haircut because they wanted us all to look from period. Josh Hartnett. <laughs> no, and, uh, <laughs> give me the Josh. We Hartnett, were on 1998. <laughs> no, we were on Hollywood Boulevard, like on actual Hollywood Boulevard, yeah. at the Pantages Theater. Because I guess there's a scene that happens in there, and he—I can't remember if he was going in or coming out—but he was running a lot, and he was in a suit, and he looked great. Hadn't seen him in a few years, and I was just kind of like, I can't wait to see this movie. And then it came out, and all I heard was mediocre things so i stayed away and i knew i wouldn't yeah. see myself on screen so there was really no incentive but whatever yeah <laughs> i'll watch it again one of these days because it's I, I only saw it once when it came out um but there's another one that he did more i say recently but it was like 10 years ago more than 10 years ago called passion with rachel mcadams and i remember seeing the preview for it but i don't remember it ever coming out i guess it did uh and i just completely missed it but i don't know what the uh well, let's see. The the reception again, not good. Uh, okay. For, for the movie, so it just seemed like you know for, you know for for a while, like he's you know was on a, a decline. All right. Did Pino Danaggio do the score for that one too? I feel I've, like he did. I have no idea. I mean, like I didn't okay. know how to say his name until the other day because I would have <laughs> just like like is that some sort of like wine varietal it's like a great oh stop <laughs> i'll have a pinot dinaggio so i'll have a pinot not a noir a dinaggio yeah. please thank you thank you like what pairs well with a pinot dinaggio 
<laughs> a Brian De Palma. <laughs> it's like uh, the scene in Pulp Fiction where they're like at the diner and just like ordering the food that's like named after famous celebrities, and they're just like, I'll "You're the, right, right." I'll have the Brian De Palma burger. <laughs> Paired with a Pinot de Nagio. <laughs> what kind of like dishes could you base on Carrie, the movie? Like, and you even have John Travolta like, there. <laughs> the, <laughs> the 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 Billy Nolan uh, beer battered wings. I don't know. Like, the, 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 <laughs> I still want like a Scream movie to to just like they can do it in like Scream Seven or. Someone will go to Sam, like, who's your father? Billy Loomis. <laughs> I'm sorry, could you speak up? Billy Loomis. Um, yeah. I want to hear, you know what? <laughs> Thinking about dishes, I just thought of an ingenious one. I want to share it with you. Yeah. Um, the, look at all these pigs in a blanket. Hey, that's a dish. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, <laughs> apparently, Pino's uh, actual first name is Giuseppe. Oh, so okay. the, the more you know. Anyway, since you know, it's short for Giuseppe. No, it's not short for it. I think that's just like his like name. Like it's literally like in quotation his marks nickname. in the middle. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. it could be like people say Peggy for Margaret, like you know, and <laughs> sure. Bobby imagine like Robert, imagine that's like, what they called uh, Margaret White in the movie, like when she went to Sue's. Peggy. Um, <laughs> Peggy like, White. Hey, come on. In. Well, because she. <laughs> I love that she's just standing there too at the because she's just like, "Hello, like good day," and then she's like, "Won't you come in?" Like, well, yeah. <laughs> Priscilla Pointer yeah. as Mrs. Snell is so fucking good. Yeah. I love her in everything. I love that woman in everything. <laughs> um, anyway. anyway, I was gonna say since we're we're kind of going off on tangents here, uh, sh- shall we, we wrap totally it up? Are. Yeah. yeah, why not? All right, let's get to the cherry picker. Uh, first order of business we need a cherry on top um this i don't i have my pick so i don't i don't know like because because this is a weird movie uh to Mm -hmm. to to pick a a a cherry on top but i personally i i would go for miss collins Explain. I just think that she's sort of like the entry point into the movie for me. Because I feel like like Carrie is obviously like a very like empathetic character. Uh-huh. But she's not a very expressive character. Like we don't we don't get to I mean, I don't look at Sissy Spacek and I like, you know, it's a great performance, but I'm not thinking like, oh Carrie, she's such a like like this grand character that like not that she's not memorable or anything but it's just like okay. when i when i watch the movie she's not the the character that sticks out the most to me whereas with like miss collins i know her i get a sense of who she is i like her i like that she likes carrie I like everything that she's doing. I like that she's, like, protective of her. And I like the fact that she's abusive to these, like, snotty bitches. And <laughs> literally, like, like slaps Chris across the face and revokes her prom ticket. I don't, I don't know. She's just sort of, like, she's, like, my personal hero. And I'm with everyone, like, in that moment when, like, when she gets the thing swung on her, that's probably, like, the 
the most tragic moment of the movie because it's just like, oh, no, not her. Not she's also Miss yeah. Desjardins. <laughs> she's also what? <laughs> Mademoiselle Desjardins. She's yeah. also the victim of like this kind of Rorschach test that I was talking about earlier in terms of I, uh, I've seen interviews with Brian De Palma himself saying that people have come up to him talking about the movie, asking him, why did you have Miss Miss Collins laugh at Carrie in the movie? Because they, I guess, don't see the kaleidoscopic effect that he put in as Carrie's own, you know, inner eye, like, you know, yeah. like what she is perceiving rather than like it, what's actually happening to her. Um so I guess it just doesn't pay to be artistic sometimes and to <laughs> show things as they might be inside one character's perspective as opposed to like, you know, j- just the way they are. Because yeah. um, I never thought Miss Collins was actually laughing at her. There's only thought- there's only a specific few people who are laughing. And that's obviously like Norma's crew yeah. and them. Because if you look at... Like, because Norma, she's, like, the first one that, like, starts laughing. And she's standing yeah. next to, I for, don't know the, the character's name, but the girl who is, like, I very know. nice to carry. She's just, like, oh, like, you know, just trying to, like, be friends with her and her date. <sighs> and they're looking stunned. And Norma, yeah. like, slaps the one guy on the chest, like, why aren't you laughing? Like, come on. like get. Exactly. And then, yeah. and then I, Helen, played by, uh, what's her face, uh, who I just know is... Uh, the the secretary from Ferris Bueller Edie, e- Edie McClurg is the actress's right, name. I adore her. Right, yeah, she's um, the one sitting with pi- with uh, PJ Souls when she's got her hat on her on her dome, and she's she's got all the other th- electrodes attached to her. It's like what or something. She's got what? Yeah. What are you talking about? <laughs> what a sackcloth? <laughs> yeah. Like she's got that wicked step. Yeah, yeah. Laugh. Like she's laughing. <laughs> like oh, like the mean girls and like the the bullies are laughing, but nobody else. Yeah. So it's yeah. just like it's literally just like in her perception because we know that like everything we've seen from Miss Collins is just like e- you know even her reaction because that's the first thing we see yeah. when the when the blood spills so you know maybe it's just maybe the movie's too highbrow for some people but I mean again like I the the, so. the Sue Snell thing like because that still confused me and it I mean now I watch them like okay but that's because I've seen it so many times but on a first viewing it is it is odd it is very peculiar that she would go there because she doesn't she's not she hasn't really vocalized a lot of like the things that she's doing because like you know she says yeah i'm fine with like staying at home so for her to like get up at the last minute and go without really Mm -hmm. uh elaborating on that beforehand it is rather suspicious Oh, I always just thought, like, she wants to make sure everything went well. And then I see the expression on her face. I'm like, that's why you went. You know, when she's smiling during the still kind of, like, yeah. you know, beautiful, like, uh, Vaseline on the lens tinged idealism <laughs> of, of, of Carrie's win. Yeah. But, um, and I'm glad, just really quick, I'm glad you mentioned Sue's friend who, when they're on the ladder decorating for the prom and everything like that, and she basically kind of gets assigned to be friendly to Carrie, but she seems like an inherently nice person. She was another person who stood out for me. I've always noticed her, but she stood out for me with this viewing just because I realize how comforted I am when she is complimenting Carrie on her dress and impressed that she made it and everything like that. Yeah. And Carrie's just kind of like, I'm just nervous. And she gives her kind of like a little hug and says, it's all right. You're going to sit with us. And I'm like, oh my God, it is going to be all right. You know, <laughs> I, it happens all over again. So I really yeah. like that girl. And I always think about her reaction to the blood 
you know, to her face, the shock on her face did when you, Norm was falling apart on the other side of the screen. Did you notice that there was like someone put a decoration, like there's like a star on the bucket? So I'm just I'm just wondering if like because they were decorating like right up until the prom. So did someone just like yeah. like oh make sure to get stars on that bucket there too? <laughs> Not actually. No, I thought I thought like, no, I thought Billy did it. Oh, just I to Billy just to it. make it blend in. Yeah. Yeah, because he's because I think he's still he's he's more goofy in the movie than he is in the book, but he's still fucked up. Yeah, he, like <laughs> so. Um, so okay, um, Miss Collins. Okay, I was I'm just I'm I'm fascinated by by that choice, and I'm charmed, and I agree. Yeah, let's make Miss Collins. Who are you going? She deserves to? a win. She. Does. I mean, honestly, I love. I I think everyone. I I wouldn't have been able to choose a cherry on top. I probably would have just been really basic and been like Carrie. But um, <laughs> but you're, the case you made has uh, it, I find really endearing, and um, I I welcome the opportunity because you know what she needs a win. Right. Carrie needs a win too, but Carrie's name is a, is the title. Yeah, Miss Collins doesn't get nothing. She doesn't even get the same name in every incarnation. Yeah, she's Mademoiselle Desjardins, and in the musical she's Miss Gardner. So <laughs> she's. What is the different. what is the uh, the the Judy Greer one? Because Judy Greer played her in the remake. What's she called? Um, in that, which I think everybody in the remakes sticks to uh, to Des. I think they called her Des Jarden. Des Jarden. Miss Des Jarden. What's what the bank? What's the because the, there's a bank with that name. How do you how do you say that? There's a bank with that. I name. think there's a bank called Des Maybe in France, in France or Canada, I don't know. Maybe, <laughs> maybe not. it's a Canadian. Thing. Yeah, I, I, I yeah, maybe it's a French Canadian yeah. thing. I don't know. Desjardins. I don't. I haven't seen it. I'll, I'll let you know. Desjardins. Anyway, maybe in Maine. Maybe in Maine, where the original Carrie story took place in mm. Maine. Where is it set in in this one? It's not set in anywhere in particular. It's set in Bates, like it's Bates yeah. High School. And there's another, there was another place where it said like Bates something or other, like welcome to Bates. I, I don't know. For all I know, that, that's like a psycho reference. So I, I it was, know. it totally is. Cause okay. Brian De Palma is a huge Hitchcock fan. Oh, so. obviously. Yeah. He's been. Accused, obviously. Yeah. obviously. Anyway. Yeah. So cherry picker, uh, last yeah. week we asked you who deserves to die the most in hereditary. And. This was a, 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 a different uh, poll because we had Andre, our editor, joining us. So his uh, nomination was for Joan, uh, just Joan. There's no last name. Uh, <laughs> I nominated Ellen Lee, who's yeah. the, the mother uh, of uh, Tony Collette's character. And you nominated Charlie, the mm-hmm. the creepy, creepy, creepy Charlie, creepy Charlie. Um, <laughs> and across sorry oh uh, I have to tell you something when we finish with the cherry picker go on <laughs> okay uh, across Patreon Instagram and YouTube uh, the total score was 402 for Joan 566 for Ellen and 150 for Charlie oh well we so, tried folks what would we have done if Andre won because he's well, not then here. If Andre won, we still would have just gone by what you and I had voted for. Oh, okay. So whoever okay. got the most out of that. Because every time Andre comes on, he gets the first yeah. dibs anyway. And and of course. and he's probably I mean, I know he really wanted to win. 
and Joan. He got closer. Yeah. Uh, Joan technically, um, she was awful. So I, he, his instincts were right, um, but I know that he was he he was upset with uh, his Scream Six nomination not doing well. So I'm, I'm glad that he did better, and, and I'm you glad that you were. World, I'm, I'm glad that you were the ultimate loser, and it was not me this time. So. <laughs> as long as I'm the carry. <laughs> sure, sure. What did and, you want to? Before and, I read the comments, what did you want to tell me? Well, because you said creepy Charlie, creepy yeah. Charlie, and I, a thought occurred to me while I was watching the the movie Carrie today because yeah. we had just come off of Hereditary the week before, and I was just thinking like, oh my gosh, there's an odd kind of like Margaret White has like this weird symbolism in her head, like she's making up things about the first sin was intercourse when the first sin was the sin of lust, and you know she's got I don't know she's got all these rules that she makes up and stuff about like you know to keep Carrie like in her hole, you know like yeah. in her little shell and everything, and and and, and um. I just wondered, like, is this like what happens <laughs> to Payman <laughs> after? Like, his, you know, there's no other, like, there's nobody else, like, there's a bunch of people worshiping, but Joan seems to be kind of like leading the charge now because everybody else is dead. So <laughs> I'm like, what if Joan tries to like raise Payman? With all of, you know, and indoctrinate payment with like, here, this is all this stuff and this is what you have to do. But payment just wants to go to a prom. So what if pay and payment's got these like special powers? And what if payment doesn't believe all of this stuff? And what if Joan, what we already kind of touched on it in the pod for hereditary, but what if Joan really is and everybody in all those pagans are all just like making it up? And what if it doesn't really like may or there's like elements of truth of it, but they don't really understand it. And because payment is closest to it, payment understands it better than they do. So payment goes off and does goes into like the library and like does some research on, on himself and ends up going to prom and ends up getting humiliated and ends up killing everybody. And then everything that happens in the end of Carrie between Margaret and Carrie happens between Joan and payment <laughs> and, so in Steve's was, body. It was just all for naught. It was just and like I, it's just the mashup years, from hell. And I years and years I just, and years of of, of planning <laughs> to be thrown away. We already said I that just, it was nothing was going to work out for them anyway because of COVID. You know, like the right. general populace of of the planet Earth does not care about apocalyptic things they would look at like the rise of of payment as just like <laughs> okay cool but like we will be able to like go out and like eat in restaurants right you know <laughs> that's the that's the priority <laughs> anyway anyway it, it was a little mashup that occurred to me and i called it hereditary so i just wanted to share that <laughs> oh Neat. <laughs> I wonder if, like, I'm the one that gets, like, blamed for, like, telling the bad dad jokes, but yours are... It just... <laughs> yours are I've told more two. egregious. <laughs> I've told two in this pod, but I no, yeah. I don't usually tell them, but I told two. I don't remember All what right. the first one was, but I, I know what happened, because okay. you had the same reaction. Okay, let's, moving on. Let's, let's, let's read some comments here. Go Blueberry Saturn IX. I laughed so loud when I saw Charlie on this list. Can't wait to find out who picked this poor child and why. Oh, God. With the poor child thing. Poor child. Sean Chalant, EBC. Gotta go with Joan. She lied and used Annie's trauma to further the cult's satanic goals. I watched this movie when it came out and absolutely hated it. Got talked into rewatching 
recently, and it's skyrocketed to be one of my favorite films. Watching it with headphones in a completely dark room made all the difference. The score Mm. and the background sounds are like 75% of what makes this movie great to me. That pulsing noise Eddie mentioned gives me so much anxiety, and I love it so much. Mm. Okay, cool. Amethyst Frost. I was surprised Charlie was a choice, but... Her. (laughs) I don't really like kids, and creepy kids in horror movies especially. All three of these choices were evil, but Charlie ends up being the big bad, and even when she was still normal, she was killing animals for fun. I know now that it was all part of the cult's plan, but on first watch, I was also really annoyed with the ridiculous premise of Charlie, who I thought was 10 or younger, until Annie says she's 13 later, being forced to go to a teen party with her her much older brother, all while not having an EpiPen or even being suspicious of nuts in her food. The fact that the movie had the nerve to kill her off in the first place was a shock and highlight. Mm, nice amethyst. Dirk later. This one was tough because ultimately it depends on how you view the movie and whether or not Annie is an unreliable narrator when it comes to her mother. I would say regardless of how you view the movie, Joan is the worst because she fully lies and manipulates Annie. Mm. Jesse D. Panda. Joan is definitely the worst on this list. She fully manipulated a woman going through traumatic shit and traumatic, traumatic shit. And we don't traumatic. know traumatic. Um, <laughs> it's traumatica. Uh, and we don't know if Annie was truthful about her mom. I, come on, people. I mean, in a re- unreliable narrative kind of way. Annie was like full on telling the truth. Come on. Um, Victoria, what, what motive would she have to lie? Yeah, yeah. Victor- but, I mean, I'm actually asking, but you don't have to answer right now. <laughs> Thank you for the, for the rhetorical question, Victoria. One two four seven. Ellen, she's dead the whole movie, but even the scrapbook pages when she smiles fills <laughs> me with rage. Like she got to smile and exist happily. Boo! I want justice and retribution. That. We just won't get. Haven't seen Ep yet, but whoever picked Charlie, don't trust them. They're a part of the cult, too. (laughs) What? (laughs) Why? You don't have to answer that. It's okay. (laughs) Why would anybody, a member from the cult, want Charlie to die? Okay, whatever. Winston SJ9QC. This was a hard choice. Sorry, this was a hard one to choose from, but I'm going with Ellen. She was a horrible mother and an even worse cult leader. She failed to make her son a vessel for payment and instead groomed her newborn granddaughter. At least Joan got the job done. Grant Uh Dempsey. Queen Lee gets the cherry. I'm so sorry, Andre. I was on board with you for Dr. Stone. But Joan seems to be an underling. Ellen seems to have been the mastermind. And yeah, Charlie was a very, very creepy kid. But maybe things would have turned out better if she'd survived. Payman couldn't do much in a female body, apparently. Let the insufficient host live and keep payment bottled up inside her ellen orchestrated so much suffering and death within her own family but more than that ellen deserves to have died because she makes one of the scariest ghosts i've ever seen when she appears (laughs) to annie in the shadows at the start of the movie few do as well as with death as ellen does she earns it all hail (laughs) jagger 1679 ellen joan ellen joan they sound the same to me 
<laughs> okay. What? Uh, right. Thomas Baker, 2067. Ellen, even though she's already dead in the movie, she is still the worst mother, even in death. Movie maniac. Uh, I went with Charlie. She should have known that sticking your head out of a moving car won't get you ahead in life. <laughs> oh, my God. I feel like that's, that's... an Austin Powers um pun <laughs> i can see mike yeah. myers like it's like that's not one's way to get ahead in life yeah yeah i um, can see him staring down the lens of the down the barrel of the camera just like waiting for us to laugh <laughs> laura mcbride ellen definitely deserved to die the most there's no excuse for selling out your family to a king of hell that's pretty rude however charlie was old enough to ask about ingredients before eating the cake so that's on her nut allergies are no joke also wanted to say that i love the pod your dynamic and eddie's canadian accent the my bloody valentine episode had me dying that's it (laughs) uh nicholas on file not charlie uh and then yuff my materia that annoying girl that annoying what? i'm sure okay he, he meant charlie or she meant charlie oh okay they meant charlie okay um annoying wow yeah i just think with like joan it's just like she like not only did she just like basically sell out her family for all this shit but like yeah. she made their lives miserable like annie especially like she made her suffer through grief and everything. So fuck that bitch. And yeah, the, those pictures of her smiling, she hopefully, you know, things don't work out for her in the in the, the payment hell. Um, but anyway, Carrie. Um, yeah. I don't know this character's name. I'm sure there is one there. I mean, I could look it up, but you're laughing now. I was just going to say the principal. Um, because oh, okay. we're all so sorry about this, Cassie. I mean, like literally, he is told her name six or seven times in the span of this mm-hmm. conversation, and he just keeps ignoring it and saying it wrong. That's just like that's next level bullshit right there. So fuck that guy. <laughs> he is, is it- the absolute worst. Is it what? I can't tell if it's him. Is it Mr. Morton? Uh, it might be. I should know his name, but I don't know. It's not Mr. Fromm, because that's Sidney Lassick, who goes, beautiful! Um, <laughs> it's yeah, Principal Morton. That's the, the character's name. Okay. Okay. So there yeah. you go. So you choose Principal Morton. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, then I'm going to choose... Everybody else is too damn interesting. Uh, so... I'm going to choose the one I just said, Mr. Fromm, uh, played by Sidney Lassick, because he he takes an opportunity when Carrie uh, expresses quite, you know, with uh, uh, just quite spontaneously and with, with no, it just it leaves her body. They're just the words, it's beautiful. And he mocks her openly in front of the class, knowing how I mean, his everything about his reaction suggests she never talks. She just sits in class. She's not a problem, but she probably just turns in her work and that's it. And all these are the, probably the first words she's spoken all year. And we know it's the end of the school year. And he's just like, beautiful, beautiful. 
little amber waves of gray and everything. And you can see it grating on Tommy, too. Like, he's he's laughing and, you know, smiling with his friends and joking. And he's in on the joke. And then all of a sudden, he starts making – Mr. Frump starts making fun of Carrie. And we get that wonderful two-shot with Tommy's face in the foreground and Carrie just mournfully looking sut- like a disappointed Madonna – not not the pop singer, but, you know, like the Virgin Mary. <laughs> um, just beautiful, just like in the background, but somber. And you just see Tommy just looking so like, dude, why do you have to do this? And he says, you suck. And Mr. Fromm comes back in with like, what? Did you say something, Tommy? He's like, who, me? He's like, yeah. And he's like, yes. And he's just like. I said, ah, shucks. Almost with a Southern accent as well. So there you go. Um, but Mr. From also because this is the thing. Okay. I have never mentioned this before with anyone. And I think about it every single time I watch the movie, Zach. When we're stuck in the slow motion of Carrie's win for prom queen and we pan across the crowd, there is a shot <laughs> where Mr. Fromm is standing next to Miss Collins and they're both applauding. And she's smiling and she looks at Mr. Fromm and kind of smiles at him and then looks back at the stage. He is leaning creepily toward Miss Collins, looking at her like this. <laughs> if you can't, if you're not watching this, you can't see my face, but it's just, his lips are kind of pursed and he looks, I don't know what he's looking at her. I don't know if he drank too much and he's just like. Can't stop staring at the pretty lady to his right or what, but he's looking or maybe he's looking at her like like, Carrie White. Really? I can't tell what it is, but it creeps me out. And I always feel Miss Collins avoiding his gaze (laughs) and trying just to kind of divine herself from this creepy moment by focusing on Carrie's happiness. So because for, for those reasons, he makes me uncomfortable and I do feel happy when he gets electrocuted and sets that background on fire. Um, so I think he deserves to die the most gross. All right. We, you do get better. it. You, do you don't, you don't glom to the from. <laughs> <laughs> People so are going to be pissed. We didn't choose Chris. <laughs> no, she's too fucking entertaining. She is. Yeah. And uh, Nancy Allen, I love her more for playing this role. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean she, so she doesn't deserve to die. I love watching her play this yeah. role. It's amazing. Yeah. So there you have it. You can uh, vote for Principal Morton or um, Mr. Fromm. Uh, F-R-O-M-M. Two M's. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you can vote on Patreon, Instagram, and YouTube. If you are supporting on Patreon, you can go over to my Patreon, Zach Cherry, Z-A-C-K, C-I-C-H-E-R-R-Y, and you will get uh, early access to all of our episodes, which uh, is almost like like five days before, typically. Uh, if you are supporting me on the Freddy Krueger tier, you will get access to our monthly bonus episode that we do, The Cherry Picker After Dark. Uh, so there's a back catalog of tons of episodes that we've done that are all really great, but this month... We're going to be covering Cruel Intentions, yeah. which is a, a favorite of ours from the the late 90s, speaking of. Um, but it's just, a, a, it's all very much appreciated, whatever uh, support you can offer, because it does go towards uh, making the podcast better and helping with my main channel. 
Um, but uh, you can also vote on Instagram. So follow us there at the Cherry Picker Pod. And if you are new to the Cherry Picker uh, and you are listening to us, you can go over and subscribe on YouTube at the Cherry Picker. And if you are watching us on YouTube, you can go to the RSS feed link in the descriptions down below and you can listen to us instead if you've had enough of looking at us. Uh, either <laughs> is fine. Um, so uh, with that said, Ed- Eduardo, where can they find you on social media? Uh, you can find me at Instagram, Letterboxd, and um, what's the other one? YouTube. Uh, uh, Edward is truth, one word. Um, just type that in and you'll find me. If you look for it on any other platforms, I've been getting alerts that a lot of people are like friending me or following me, whatever you do on Snapchat, because I think I still have an old account and I think I'm going to delete it. I mean, I'm sorry if, if, if you're listening and you followed me on Snapchat and you found me and it's me. Sorry, because uh, I, I, I'm not on it. I don't understand the point. That, uh, what about you, Zach Cherry? Great. You can find me on Instagram at RetroBitchFace. You can find me on Twitter at ZachCherry8. You can find me on Snapchat, Zach Cherry, And again, my main YouTube channel, Zach Cherry. <laughs> what have we... Sorry, we're running, we're running long here. What have we... Also, sorry. And thank you to Andre Felix. We've mentioned Yay! him several times, but he is our podcast editor and occasional guest. Uh, and and we appreciate everything he he does, and even more so when he comes on here. So thank you, Andre. Yeah. Uh, what have we got going on next week? Pray tell. Okay, shit. It's the one with um. Uh, I I wait. It's the what are we what are we doing next week? <laughs> So you I just heard remember. me say that we're we're running extra long, and you've started to entertain the the fucking <laughs> questioning and all that. You uh, could have answered my question, and we'd already be there. But you I threw know, it out but too. I have, to, I have to, <laughs> to call you out for for this bullshit. Well, gonna, hypocrisy is the word is of the day. Is my middle so. name? Thank you. <laughs> um, throw in a little are, passive ag- aggression. Uh, <laughs> Zach, be, what are we doing next week? We're going to be doing in, Insidious. Oh, that one. With, okay, yeah, yeah we're doing all Insidious. The in there. <laughs> insidious. So look forward to that. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. And we will be 